Hey gang, it's John. Thank you for listening to our deep dive. I thought these were fun this year. I think I got a lot of good feedback. I'm going to keep going. I want to hear what you guys think. Do you like them? Do you not? Should we do more, less? You tell me what you think. Now, this one is absolutely epic. We invited back Brad Sunberg. You may remember Brad from earlier this year. Brad and I had what I thought was a very provocative and interesting conversation about his time working with Michael Jackson. Now, despite however you may feel about MJ, I know he. some people are okay with it, some people are not, and that is absolutely fine because we don't really talk that much about MJ in here. What we do talk about is Quincy Jones' 1989 magnum opus, Back on the Block. Now, this album won seven Grammys, sold a couple million copies. Brad was the technical director slash assistant producer slash audio engineer, however you want to define it. But get an idea of some of the people who performed and appear on this album. There's Miles Davis. There's Ella Fitzgerald. There's Ray Charles. There's Barry White. There's Sarah Vaughn. There's Bobby McFerrin. There's Dizzy Gillespie. There's Melly Mel. There's Cool Modi. There's James Ingram. There's Albie Sure, there's Tevin Campbell, there's Saida Garrett. All of these people appear on this album. It is crazy, and he has stories about all of them. Shaka Khan. I mean, it just keeps going and going. The Brothers Johnson. Anyway, I, I don't know how you feel about R&B, but I think anyone who remotely appreciates music will love this conversation. It is so great, and it's long, but there is that's because there is a lot to talk about. Okay? We love Brad. I'll tell you more about what he's up to at the end of the conversation. Enjoy. I have to admit, I feel a lot of pressure to get this one right, you know? Because it there's just so much valuable information to be had in this album, and I don't want to give any of it short shrift, you know? And, and where your pressure ends, mine begins. <laughs> That's true. I'm actually nervous. It's it's the funniest thing because number one I say this with pure respect, Quincy's still alive. Yeah, and and it's like, I mean, this album was released thirty years ago, August eighth, nineteen eighty nine. You know, a lot of the people that worked on it are still around. A lot of yeah. them are not. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I'm I'm nervous and excited, and, and let's uh, let's go. Okay. Um, all right. So I. Um... We should establish for anyone who doesn't know, this album was released in November of 1989. It went on to win seven Grammys in uh, in in the 1991 Grammy Awards show. They're on a weird cycle. The Grammys never do it like by calendar year. They always have some weird uh, rules around when things are accepted. But whatever it is, this is a hugely uh, lauded and decorated album. Back on the block. Right. One, like I said, won seven Grammys, including Album of the Year. And a lot of these I want to touch on as we get to the songs and go track by track. But um, I like to give a little bit of background. It was number it was a number one R&B album. Uh, it was on the R&B charts for 12 weeks. I was trying to find uh, like how many copies it sold. I know it went platinum. Do you have that kind of information? Do you know? I, I don't. Okay. I've got a platinum album on my wall, but, but I don't know. Okay. And it had, I think, four singles, um, but I couldn't find their chart position either. Um, my personal history with this album is that I worked in a Musicland record store in the mall when this came out, and I remember so well seeing it on the on the, you know the end racks and everything. But 
I'm I was in like almost all white Mormon Salt Lake City, and so this album like meant nothing to me or anyone, any of my friends, anything. I mean, I, okay. I remember playing it in the store, but that was about it. And so it wasn't until about uh, four or five years ago, I was interviewing a guy named Chaz Jenkel, who has a song called uh, I Know Corita, which, yeah. yeah, Quincy did on his The Dude album. And right. so I bought that album and I loved it. And I mm-hmm. thought, boy, I must be, maybe I'm missing the boat here. And so I immediately bought the Back on the Block as well, but I've only ever had like a soft copy of it. And I feel like this is one of those albums that I should have, I really need the liner notes. I think I'm failing myself here on the without having the liner notes because I bet there's all <laughs> kinds of information in there. But anyway, so I don't know this out. Al- I didn't grow up with this album like some people did. You know what I mean? I'm fairly well, I- new to it. I'm so glad that you use the phrase uh, uh, all white. Yeah. Because let, let, let me give you 20 some odd seconds of my background. Please. I'm, I'm a kid from Santa Cruz, California. White kid. I'm yeah. lily white, you know, like, like uh, aspirin white. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I grew up listening to Peter Frampton and Van Halen and uh, uh, Pink Floyd and Zeppelin. And, you know, and people sort of associate me. I spent so much time with Michael Jackson, but I didn't grow up on R&B and certainly not on jazz. Now, my mom, you know, is a church organist, so I, mean, I love, you know, gospel music and soul music, but it's not, you know, it's not in my blood. Yeah. So what was going to happen uh, in 1989 when it was just this revolving door of amazing artists I, I was, you know, I was a white kid just trying yeah. to figure out who these people are and yeah. familiar names, but just day after day, it was unbelievable. Yeah, I, I that's the part I, I have to admit that I'm most, you're right, you're going to do most of the heavy lifting here because every song has so many fantastic guests on it. And I just want to know what it was like to sit there and watch every one of them come through the door, you know, and do their thing, assuming that's how this worked. So when we get to, you know, each song, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quiz you on that. Like, you know, was this person there? What did they say? Did they, did they smoke? Did they, were they funny? Were they nice? What did they eat? You know, whatever I can find. Well, I, I'm, I'm into it and okay. I'm going to, you know, my, my cards are always face up on the table. Yeah. I am not, you know, if, if we're going to go deep into music theory and all that, mm. that's not me. Yeah. Um, if it's, you know, who created these mixes, why did this album sound so good? That's Bruce Swedeen. Yeah. Um, I, I was, my title was technical director, but half the time I felt like a fly on the wall, mm-hmm. just watching legends be legends. Yeah. And it was, it was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. We should note that Bruce won, also won a Grammy best engineered recording, non-classical and Quincy run, won a Grammy as well for producer of the year. So my my take on this album is that, and I think this is substantiated, is that this was Quincy's way of sort of telling, I don't know, maybe his peers that he felt like rap was here to stay and was just as artistically viable as the jazz music that he and probably his peers had devoted most of their lives to. And that if you merge the two artistically, you're going to come up with something really special. So this is like, it's, it's almost more of a statement, uh, both an artistic statement and to some degree a political statement, you know, 
Quincy, who's like the king of so many things, a real trendsetter and a tastemaker, is putting his foot down and saying, guys, I believe in this and I'm going to prove it to you by making this album. And if you're a naysayer, then you need to get you need to get on the bus because we this is uh, this is going to be here to stay and it and it's worth it. Am, am I wrong? Yeah. Do you feel that way? No, you're, you're absolutely right. And he would he would say things like that. I mean, really? he, you know, Quincy. Quincy never, uh, he's, he's never short on opinions, mm-hmm. nor on, uh, you know, a little, you know, Quincyisms. Mm-hmm. you know, it, you know, Quincy's got, you know, hundreds of phrases that just roll off his tongue. You know, that's, you know, that's like, uh, you know, uh, I have to be careful how I say it, but you know, you know, that, that groom is like, you know, uh, big thighs and a tight skirt. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, I don't even know what that means, but you know, but he said it and it's funny, but yeah, no, he, he very much believed, you know, rap. I mean, yeah. I didn't know who Melly Mel was and right. cool Modi and here these guys are. And, and Quincy's like, no, man, we're going to, you know, th- this is important. You know, yeah. this is all part of music's journey and, uh, and this is where it's at and this is where it's going. Yeah. So I mean, he's looking back, you know, by bringing Ella and Ray and mm-hmm. Sarah you know, yeah. bringing them in. And then he's, you know, giving, you know, Melly Mel and Tevin mm-hmm. Campbell and, and Saida, you know, he's giving them yeah. a boost and saying, look, you know, the future is bright. Yeah, that's exactly right. It is. Yep. Um, okay. How did you get put on this project? I know Bru- you're kind of Bruce's right-hand man. Is that, is it sort of where Bruce goes? I follow. How did this happen? Yeah. Yeah. Bruce, Bruce is old school. Um, where he wants, he didn't like the word assistant or mm. second engineer. He he liked the word technical director, okay. and it's it's just a made up word. But it it's his guy. So mm-hmm. you know, if we're working on uh, on uh, you know a Michael album, a Quincy album, I'm going to go where Bruce goes. I'm going to prep the studio. I'm I'm going to get everything up to Bruce's standards. I know Bruce's mics. I know what he likes for lunch. I mean, I, 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 my job is to make Bruce's life as mm-hmm. easy as possible. So he doesn't have to like relearn, you know, a new second engineer, you know, in every studio. And I'm not going to say that I did the heavy lifting, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, I could get the session ready so he could come in and really focus on making everything sound good. Okay. So I, I started with, I mean, I kind of started with this team, I, you know, I've, been kind of racking my brain and just going back uh, through a bunch of stuff. Uh, it was actually the color purple mm-hmm. when I first met Quincy and Bruce, and I was bringing them cheeseburgers. So I mean, I was literally I was a runner at Westlake Studios, right. and that's and then I met freaking Steven Spielberg, oh and I'm like, where am I? Yeah. Um, I mean, I was 23, something oh my like that. Gosh. So that's kind of when I first met Quincy and Bruce. And then uh, from there, uh, Captain EO, I met Michael. And then the Bad Album. And that's when I really kind of joined the team. Okay. And then after the Bad Album, uh, I, Bruce and I did, it was roughly a year of post-production of all the dance mixes and remixes uh, for the Bad Album and video and Pepsi and all kinds of stuff. And then we did a quick Streisand project, uh, and Quincy was involved in that. He produced a song, um, well, he produced a song called Places You Find Love. Okay. And we'll talk about that for Barbara yep. Streisand. Yep. And then Bruce 
asked Alan Sides, the owner of Oceanway, to build him a new studio to do Quincy's new album in. And that's when Studio uh, Studio A was built at Record One uh, with the 80 input uh, Neve 8078. Mm. And they actually they found two 8078s and bundled them together and built this, in liner notes, Bruce calls it Colossus. And uh, so they built that, that gorgeous studio really for Quincy's album. Wow. And then fast forward, we wound up doing Michael's Dangerous album, um, mostly in that same room. Okay. And my understanding is that if you try and book that room today, it has been locked out. I don't want to exaggerate, but this is what I'm told. Uh, Dr. Dre has been in that room, I think, for 10 years. What? I mean, no, no, dead serious. Yeah, you cannot <laughs> rent that room. Really? It's, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, you no, prove me wrong. I mean, you yeah. can call a record one tomorrow. <laughs> well, he's got billions of yeah. dollars thanks to Beats headphones, so he... Probably just is like, this is my room. It's like paying rent yeah. on an apartment or something. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, because I've actually tried to, you know, see if I can get in there and do one of my seminars there. Yeah. Uh, just so people can kind of see, feel, and hear what it was like. <laughs> and they're just like, yeah, Dre just never leaves. I mean, <laughs> it's just his room. Wow. So, but that's where it started. Okay. Okay. Um, well, can I tell you one funny well, I hope it's funny thing about Bruce. Yeah, please. As far as working side by side with Bruce, it's it's a commitment. I mean, you're, you're almost putting on a ring and saying, you know, I'm here. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not a part time gig. It's it's a full immersion. And somewhere we were like doing some of Michael's remixes, and we're talking about Quincy's album, and I we were in LA, and I had to go to Florida. Uh, my brother was graduating uh, from Naval Boot Camp. Mm -hmm. it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. So I said, Bruce, I need, you know, like these six days, six, seven days. Uh -huh. um, I, and, and he's like, yep, no problem. We're not going to start Quincy's album for a few weeks. Um, you're, you're good to go. So we didn't have cell phones back then. This was right. like the, you know, Stone Age. And we, I got to Florida and my pager just explodes. And it's it's Bruce, you know, you've got to come back. You've got to come back. We're starting on, on Monday. And I'm like, crap. Oh, so, no. so I had to book a flight and, you know, and I got like one day to see my brother and a day at Disney world and, uh, jumped on a flight and I went, it was like a red eye or an early uh -huh. morning flight. Got to the studio. I swear this is true. You know, somebody, at the studio picked me up at the airport, went right to the studio, no shower. Uh -huh. Um, and, <laughs> Bruce locked in, and, I, you know, the room, it was just kind of weird. The room was ready, but he walked in with his briefcase and, and uh, kind of looked around and said, you know, let's put a tape up, and he kind of listened to a couple mixes, and, and he was there maybe two hours, and then he said, okay, I'll see you in a couple weeks. No! Yeah. Oh, come on! <laughs> it was a test. Yeah, yeah, it was a, yeah. It was a straight up test. Really? And I'm like, yeah. And that's what it took. I mean, oh, Bruce man. did not, Bruce doesn't play. Yeah. And he, he wanted to make sure that I'm, you know, I'm going to ride this thing out, yeah. you know, come hell or high water. So that's, that's what a technical director. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It so, was, it was, 
I, I was not happy. I okay. That that was going to be my question because, look, I'll, I mean, I didn't have a job as cool as yours, but if my boss were to tell me on the first day of a six day vacation to come back to the office, <laughs> I would blow that place up. I would be so mad, and and I'm wondering if you're like, you know what? I get to do the coolest thing in the entire world. I'll go back. Or if you're like, screw this, you know, <laughs> where is your, it sounds like your head is like this. Sucks. You know, I'm a, I, I guess my, my, my bloodline is Swedish. And, uh -huh. You know, some Swedes have vicious tempers and others just push it all deep down inside. And I, I tend to be part of group two. Oh. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I loved Bruce. Um, yeah. I, I was, I was a little irritated, uh -huh. but, I'm like, what, what are you going to do? Uh, I mean, I, I, okay. I've got Michael Jackson. Yeah, Michael yeah. Jackson has my home phone number. Yeah. And I'm working on some music that I'm incredibly proud of. So, yeah, yeah I wasn't happy. I mean, yeah. I think my wife was pretty irritated. I but, uh, but you, you know, you go home, you take a shower and keep going. Okay. Okay. Speaking of Michael Jackson, I can't remember. You may have told me this when we talked before. Why is he not on this album? That that I'm guessing that had to be a conscious choice. It, it's a good question. I never heard a conversation. You know, Quincy always called Michael Smelly. I, I never once heard you know Quincy say, "Oh, you know, Smelly's really letting us down" or something. Okay. Um, he Michael Michael was on tour. Okay. And I mean, he he was touring the crap out of the bad album. Could he have broken away for a few days and uh, popped in and done a vocal? Of course. And okay. and I just don't know. I mean, it was after that that, you know, Quincy wasn't involved on Dangerous. Yeah, so true. It, so somewhere between the last day of the Bad Album and the first day of the Dangerous Album, you know, the, the two of them. Huh. And, and I honestly don't know. I mean, okay. I, I, think, I think Michael was growing up a little bit. And yeah. Quincy was, you know, maybe okay. letting go okay they were just so joined at the hip around that time that you would think if he's not on there that's saying something as much as having him on there you know like i know that i'm michael and i are a pair right now but he's not coming on this album that's a statement in and of itself in a way i, I agree okay yeah and i again i, I never sensed or heard any bitterness or anger or good okay. riddance it just we we were so busy that I'm not sure it even yeah came you know yeah not not sure it even came up. Well, and there's so many other fantastic people on here. He wasn't needed. I mean, we're gonna get to this in a minute. Miles Davis is on here for all of about ten seconds, and if you can only if your album is so compact that you can only make ten <laughs> ten seconds of room for Miles Davis, you don't need you don't need Michael Jackson. You know. Yeah. 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 There okay. there there was no there was no shortage of musicianship. Um yeah. I think Michael Michael could have brought some some cool stuff to the table. Yeah. But it's not a Michael record. No. Um the, the, this is a straight up Quincy Jones album. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um all right, before we get into track by track, how long did you work on this album and do you have any idea how much it costs because it sounds um, expensive? I, I've been trying to rack my brain. Um you know, weeks turn into months and months yeah. i mean it wasn't you know it wasn't a year i if i really had to estimate i would say it was around five to six months i mean quincy moved pretty fast so yeah it was not you know a michael you know settling in the hit factory for yeah. 15 months mm. i'm going to say four to five 
months. But it was, I don't want to say it was brutal, but it was brutal. I mean, it was just long days and push, 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 push. I mean, as far as, you know, the the four, I kind of see the the four key guys on this album are are obviously Quincy, uh, Rod Temperton, Mm -hmm. Jerry Hay, and Bruce Swedeen. Okay. And and those guys they they know how to make records, and sure do. it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be a lot of food. It's gonna be a lot of jokes, but at the end of the day, you're gonna look at you know some tapes in the vault and go, wow, we we really got something done today. Yeah. Oh man, you you, you just listing off those names, and I just want to I just start salivating. I just think I cannot believe I'm talking to a guy who was in the room with all those people. That's amazing. Um, and, okay. And, yeah. Yeah. Just, just keep in mind, I'm a nobody. Well, um, sure. but, <laughs> well but, but you, you're there. I mean, that's that's why I started this podcast was because people like you have fantastic stories to tell that we don't get to hear as often, and I want to right. know them. And so that's the whole reason. Anyway. Uh, okay. There are 14 songs on this album. Two or three of them. Well, three of them probably could be considered sort of. I don't know, superfluous, prologues, preludes, interstitials, whatever it might be. We'll touch on them if there's an interesting story there. The first one, it kicks off with a with prologue. I've been away for a long time. Now I'm not only back, but I'm here to rhyme. So what's the move as I include that I'm back on the block portraying the dude? So hey, young world saying Quincy, Quincy, I need the dude to correct and convince me. Teach me the right way so my eyesight may see that path that leads to a brighter day. So if you're uh, ready to Quincy for raps for a minute, day. and uh, it's not the best rapping you've ever heard, but it is of a piece with the with the theme of this album that we talked about a minute ago, which is I'm Quincy Jones. I'm one of the best producers of pop and R&B and jazz in the world. And I'm saying rap is good. That's kind of what this says to me. Yep. Yep. In the first 10 seconds. Yep. That's it. That's it. Okay. Um, and it's, and it's also his son. I mean, it's QD three. So that that's Quincy, Quincy junior, Quincy the third that kind of starts it off nice kid um ah. i mean now he <laughs> i say kid i mean it's just it does not feel like 30 years i mean in my mind he's still you know 19 years old and yeah good grief um he's not <laughs> but yeah just nice night yeah uh snoopy they quincy called him snoopy I um and yeah so so snoopy kind of has the first rap and then hands off to his dad and it's just cool. I mean, it's yeah. kind of symbolic. It's, uh, yeah. you know, pay, paying respect. And, uh, yeah. Generations the, passing. Yeah. The, the groove under that whole thing, I got to cheat and look at my notes here. That was, I mean, I guess, yeah, Rod. Yeah. I guess Rod did the programming on that. 
you know, and then Quincy, you know, Snoopy took it from there, and then and then Quincy, oh. and the whole thing, and then it, it rolls into Back on the Block. Yeah. So we have to kind of segue those two together. Yeah. Kick my credentials. A young player bred in South Central LA, home of the body bag. You wanna die? Wear the wrong color rag. I used to walk in stores and yell, "Lay down!" You flinch an inch, AK spray down. But I was lucky 'cause I never caught the hard time. I was blessed with the skill to bust a dope rhyme. All my homies died and caught the penso. Lost the diamonds. Cops told the bensos, living that life that we thought was it. Fast laning, but the car flipped. I'm not gonna lie to you 'cause I don't lie. I just kick thick games. Some people say why? 'Cause I'm back on the block. I got my life back. So I school the fools about the fast track. I get static on my style and my technique. Profanity, the blade way in which I speak. But the dude knows the streets ain't no kitty game. You don't know the dude? Quincy's first name. He told me, Ice, keep doing what you're doing, man. Don't give a damn if the squares don't understand. You let 'em tell you what to say and what to write. Your whole career be over by tomorrow night. Rap from your heart and your heart's with the street. Rap on my record, man. Kamiko sent Ice to beat. The dude is definitely back. What can I say? The man can roll with Ice T and Michael J. Back, back on the block. And. Drums, you know, if you haven't noticed, drum sounds on this album are enormous. I um, have a lot of questions about that. Yeah. Okay, well, I won't jump ahead. Well, no. So this is, I love this song, but so I, I, I actually get kind of irritated when people say that, um, you know, an album or music or whatever is of its time and it hasn't aged well and stuff like that. Because I think that's really narrow-minded. It's like, why can't, just appreciate that for its period, this was, this sound was the best that was available at that time. Or this is what that period of time sounded like. I gotta admit, yeah, but, yeah, the drums yeah. at the beginning of Back on the Block are so 1989 to me, and they, to me, have not necessarily aged well. But I, uh, as a whole, I love this song. So where does that song uh, sound even come from? Because that is what R&B in 1989 and 90, like going in the New Jack Swing, that's what that sounded like, those drums. Right, right. Well, as far as the, the sonics of those drums, and, and I don't want to bore you too much, but there's a guy in Hollywood, uh, I hope he's still around, but uh, it's the drum doctor. And I can't remember his name. I want to say, I want to say, not Phil, but... I mean, he's a guy, you know, he, he takes care of everybody's drums. So he's got a warehouse of drums. He rents drums, he sells drums, and he, he does cartridge and the whole thing. So I know we did this on Michael's album. I, we might have done it on, on Quincy's also, but Bruce would, Bruce would call the drum doctor and just say, you know, bring me a truckload. And, you know, so here would come all these drums. And we'd set them all up in the studio. It would just be me and Bruce. And, I mean, drum after drum after drum, snare drums, piccolo snares, kick drums, big kick drums, little kick drums. And Bruce would mic them. And then, and then Bruce kind of, he kind of liked to hit the drum. <laughs> you know, I mean, why not? So we would be, so we would be sampling all these drums, you know, close mic, far mic. Um, and it would be a couple of days of just getting new drum sounds. 
So Bruce had this whole library. He, he sampled them all on, on, back then it was an MPC-60 with floppy disks. And they were beautifully recorded, well edited. And he had this whole library of drum sounds that was really like nobody else's. So he could, you know, so he, you know even if, uh, uh, you know, Rod, you know, might come up with a drum groove or something with his M1, Bruce is going to replace those drums with his drums. Uh, uh, typically how it would be. Okay. So, so I'm back on the block. I've, I've got to cheat a little bit too and see who... Uh, uh, well, I got a whole list here. There's uh, obviously the oh, start, there's the rapping. Ice, Ice-T. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I should say this won a Grammy as well. Best Rap Performance by a Duo Group. And that would have included uh, Ice-T... Cool Modi, Big Daddy Kane. You, I think you mentioned something to me via email that Ice T was only supposed to do a few bars, but he went over and like why? What's <laughs> well, the story there? Well, I'll, staying on drums just for two. Oh seconds. yeah, please. Because uh, I'm looking at you know Bill Summers did some of the drums. Uh, I think Steve Picaro uh, yeah. did a bunch of the programming on that. Oh no, okay, no, it was Rod. It was Rod and Quincy who did the the primary drum programming. And if you really listen to it, and I probably should have studied it a little bit more, but if I'm not mistaken, there's about four different drum patterns uh, that, you know, slide in and out. And we didn't have Pro Tools. I mean, this was old school, recorded on a Studer 24 track, uh, transfer it. So I think we were using Mitsubishi 32 track digitals back then. And then offsets and, you know, starting this drum loop at, you know, bar 32 and starting the next one at bar 48. So it's probably, uh, honestly, it's probably the most complicated song I've ever worked on in terms of drums. And I'm talking hours and hours. I I just remember, I remember late nights of, you know, trying to line, you know, snare drums up from, you know, from one, you know, drum cluster to another. And, uh, and and we made it work, and, and it was pretty. Uh, it, it was just an amazing amount of time because we just we have you know the digital tools that they have now. Yeah. So we you know we had to have everything in the studio all on word clock. Um, oh, and that's something else I totally forgot to mention is while we're doing our work, this whole album is being videoed. Really? For, for the for the film? Oh yeah. I've never seen the film. Yeah, the film is called This Is It. So, so we've got a whole film crew there. Oh no! Way. Oh, <laughs> on top man. of on top of us just doing all our normal work, and you know, they kept telling us, you know, can you guys please wear black? Can you please wear black? Really? And it's like I, I'm lucky if I can get out of bed and put a pair of shorts on, <laughs> right. you know, right side out, right. much less dress up. So you know, so there, it was just a lot of balls in the air, but but the music was always first, uh-huh. and the production crew knew that that uh, they're there to capture what's happening, not to try and direct. Okay. Um, okay. But yeah, so getting back to your iced tea thing, yeah, the instructions that we sent to the four rappers were, you know, bring us you know like sixteen bars, mm-hmm. um, you know, that nice tight little sixteen bar rap, and I'm sure Quincy kind of gave them some direction, but he also wanted their personalities to come through yeah so in in no way am i trying to be disrespectful but i don't think i don't think some of these guys had really been in a real studio before Mm, maybe not and and you know and here's you know here's melly mel you know rapping into bruce's you know 
$18,000 telephone can 251 <laughs> and, and everything works. And, and again, I'm not trying to be rude, but yeah. I think they were kind of blown away by yeah. Wow. In yeah. fact, I, I, I do remember, I don't remember who said it, but I, mean, I just remember this is not, you know, this is not how we do it. You, know, uh-huh. you guys, you know, you guys have your, your act together. So here's I see he comes out and, and right away he just keeps going uh-huh. and he goes like he goes a full 28 bars. Well, that's not even really, you know, if you're not going to do 16, maybe do 24 or 32, uh-huh. but he just, he just drops out at 28. So then we had to make that work. So we've got to kind of restructure the drums around his 28 bars. And then the other three guys did their yeah. normal 16 bars, but it works. Yeah, I mean, oh, it does. Know, it ice does. is a little heavier. It's got body bags. And, yeah, you know, I noticed. Wear the wrong color rag and all that. And yeah. So, I mean, his is a pretty intense beginning to the song. And then the other guys, you know, yeah. do, do their thing. And, yeah. it, and it all comes together and works. It does. I, for, I forgot to mention Melly Mel earlier. Yeah, he was great, too. Do you know why Quincy picked these guys in particular? No. No. Okay. No, I, I didn't know if he was a fan or they were around or what. He could have picked anybody. Karis one, Chuck D, any one of these guys would have come over and done it, I'm sure, but he went with those four and I wondered why. Yeah, and I like I say, I'm I'm honest to a fault. Um okay. I, I don't know it. Now I do remember Ice T it seemed you know, Ice T was kind of the you know, kind of the younger one yeah. and you know, this this was pretty early in his career. Yeah. And he came in. He's like, you know, I, I gotta play. I gotta play my new my new song for you guys. And so we're all like excited. He he pulls out know, the cassette or a dat or something. Uh-huh. And it was this song called "The Girl Tried to Kill Me." Oh my gosh. <laughs> have, you, have, have you ever heard that song? No. <laughs> it's the it's the funny. I mean, it's it's hardcore, and it's about. You know, this the, the, I I really can't repeat the lyrics, sure. but you know, your 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 listeners that are over the age of eighteen, uh, <laughs> go ahead and check out the girl tried to kill me. And oh we yeah, of course I remember that song. Yes, of course I forgot all. I mean, we're yeah, and 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 that even that was kind of cutting edge because it's a rock song. Yeah, with rap and <laughs> and it's and it's flying. Yeah, and we we were on the floor, and so that's. That's uh, kind of how it started. It was his coming, him coming with that song, and and then the four of them just freestyling and just you wild. know, and again, I didn't grow up with you know yeah. certainly not with rap, but just to you know really hear them do what they do, it, it was really really fun. Now, are all four of them in the room recording this in one take, or do you do Ice T and then he leaves, and then Melly Mel comes in and then he leaves? How does this work? Yeah, I was trying to remember that too. They were all there at the same time. Okay. And I want to say that they were there maybe for just one or two days. We we got them wrapped up pretty pretty quick. And there's one thing, you know, the the four of them were were in the kitchen. Uh, Record one has a really nice kitchen, and there, you know, we had snacks, always had fruit bowls, and everything for them. And I think uh-huh. they were kind of clowning on us about you know about the snacks because it's about like oranges and grapes and they're like you know they, they wanted something a little more finger food you know when they're and again i'm i'm walking on a tightrope here but i just remember i felt so white 
<laughs> and and you know, and they're just—I mean—they're dropping every yeah. word, every adjective, and yeah. and you in your mind, you've kind of got—I'm a smart enough guy to know that I'm a white guy. Yeah. And man, you you start you know you start trying to pretend like you're going to fit in, and it's not going to go well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and but I think they res- but you know I respected them. They respected me, and they were sweet, sweet guys. Good. I mean, really, genuinely nice guys. And we were all going to do a job. So then, and I don't want to get ahead of you, but then in the midst of all that, now this didn't happen the same day, but then sometime later we bring Tevin Campbell in. Yeah, yeah. And so this song, I, that's when this song really takes on a whole new level to me is when it, when I believe it's the late great Andre Crouch's choir starts singing and Tevin, who I think is like 12 at the time. Yes. And... Uh, yeah, but- He's a kid. He's yeah, but oh my gosh, Hatchet, Texas. Yes, come, comes in in a little button-down shirt and a little V-neck sweater, and you just fall in love with this kid. And he starts to sing, and it's like, oh wow, I, yeah. I actually have goosebumps. Yeah, remarkable talent. Did, I um, think, I oh, think it was Saida that found him. I'm not, oh, really? I'm not 100 percent sure, okay. but I think so. I wondered. Okay, I wondered about that. And because you would have to think Quincy would probably think, well, I've got another, I've got my new MJ here. You know, young kids yeah, that, sounds like him when they sing. This kid's going places. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to groom this guy, you know? Yeah. 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 And, and that, that, that comparison was made many times. I bet. Okay. I, I don't know if they're singing in another language. I don't know what the Stokey Stokey thing is. Yeah. But... Well, that's, okay. So that's Kaifas. Kaifas. Again, uh, you know, forgive me uh, if anybody really knows if, if I'm about to say something wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's Swahili. That's what I thought. And uh, yeah, and, and it's you know an African callback chant, and I don't remember what it means. Kaifas explained it to us, but yeah, you get you know Undercrutch Choir and yeah. uh, Tevin, you know, starting to do this uh, Kaifas uh, callback stuff, and it gives you chills. I mean, yeah. very, you know, both powerful and, and beautiful. I've often said that maybe my favorite thing that's ever been recorded by humans is the Mama Say, Mama Sa part of Want to Be Certain right. Something from Michael Jack. That is just, I get goosebumps now just thinking about it. It's the most yeah. life-affirming, gorgeous piece of recorded sound I can think of. And when Andre Crouch's choir does the Stokey Stokey part in this song, I get those goosebumps again. It's just, I I don't know what they're saying. It's not, I'm a white kid, but oh my gosh, this is hitting me hard, whatever it is. You know? No, I agree. No, yeah, I I would put this, yeah, Mama Say Mama Sa, I mean, that's that's in its own little orbit. Yeah. But but yeah, yeah, the power of this, and it's just sad because so many people have never heard it. Yeah, uh, but it's uh, it's just a powerful, beautiful song. I agree. And and and, and this is how Quincy kicks the album off. It's like, yeah. all right, here we go. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we could go hours on just this this song, but we should move it along. Let's go to number three. I don't go for that. I got to admit, I have no idea who Ian Prince is. Ran out of time There's no making up That he took the chance and step 
he's the one who sings this song. Uh, no, Saida sings it. Uh, wow. oh, yeah, I thought it was Ian. It says, well, I'm going off Wikipedia, but it says uh, vocals by Ian Prince for I Don't Go For no. That. No, no, it's Saida. Okay. Um, so Ian, he's a black guy from London. He's, in fact, I just Googled him yesterday just to kind of see what he's up to because I haven't talked to him in 30 years. Black guy from London, very talented programmer, musician. He's got long, you know, beautiful curly hair. Girls like Ian Prince. I mean, okay. he's just, you know, he, he's having the time of his life. I get it. <laughs> and, uh, and he's not afraid to talk about it. Okay. And uh, just, uh, and, he, and he's, it's like when I teach, um, I, I sometimes teach in recording schools, and, and I'll, tell, I'll tell recording students, you know, you, you have to, you know, there's a certain kind of it factor. Uh, if you're going to be stuck in a studio, you know, for a long time, you've got to have a personality. You, you've uh-huh. got to have a little bit of a sense of humor, and, and you've got to have talent. Um, you know, back then we used to call it hanging chops. You, right. know, you want to hang out with somebody. And Ian was that kind of guy. Okay. Um, he was funny, you know, kind of the life of the party, but uh, but also very talented, very okay. fast. Okay. He would come up with ideas. Yeah, so this is his, I believe he arranged this song, and then uh, Saida, the, the singer, Okay. You know, then and then who comes in but Herbie Hancock? Because yeah. why not? And you know, it's just just like that constantly. Yeah, every song has like two or three, you know, big, at least two or three big time people on it. Um, I, I have a, I have a little bit of a hot take opinion about this song and one other one that comes up mm-hmm. later in the album. I really like these songs, but in the context of this album they are the least interesting and I say that because they sound like pretty straightforward um, and, and I'll just say the other one is one man woman which we're going to talk about <laughs> later and, no, I, and, and I, I, you, you could have said what do you think the other one is and I would have answered okay, that okay. So, no, you're, no you're spot on okay because they uh, they sound like excellent excellent R&B pop singles of that yeah, era yeah pop songs from yeah yes but in the context of this album they are the least interesting things on it. Does that make sense? It makes sense and I agree one hundred percent. Okay. So you're 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 very perceptive and, and I agree. Okay. Okay. And they're uh, both, yeah, they're both they're both great songs, but uh, you know, they probably sound the most dated. And like you said, that's not necessarily a bad thing. No. But yeah, they, they, they have the fingerprints of nineteen ninety all over them. Yeah. Yeah. I really like both songs. They're just the least, you know, interesting of what's on here. Um, yeah. Okay, I'll be good f- to you. Um, I, I again, I'm getting goosebumps again because this is the song I remember hearing and seeing the video for and stuff like that.
I absolutely adore the Brothers Johnson. To me, it goes Earth, Wind, and Fire, the Brothers Johnson, Heat Wave, and probably the Gap Band. I love those guys, and I have always loved this song, but I didn't even know, I discovered them 10 or 15 years ago. And uh, so this, I didn't know this was their song, but you get so you, Ray, they, Ray they, Charles. You know oh, who's at Heat Wave, right? Yes. I know, oh, right. Rod. I know. Yeah. I know. Okay. Right. Just yes. making sure. Oh, I got it. Believe me. Grooveline and Stomp are two of my <laughs> mine and my kids' all-time favorite songs. We've been dancing to those songs since they were little babies, and Rod wrote both of them, and that kind of blows yeah. my mind. Um, well, absolutely love Grooveline. Yes, me too. So, okay, I'll be good for you, or I'll be good to you. Um, Ray Charles, Shaka Khan singing this. They won a Grammy as well. Best R&B performance by a duo or group with vocals. One question I had to you for you is: There are two Brothers Johnson songs on this album. Why did Quincy do that? Uh, Qu Quincy had a deep affinity. I mean, I think he produced their stuff. He did. He um, did. Yeah, he he loved them, and he told a lot of stories about them. You know, because they they hated each other. The um, Brothers Johnson hated each other. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, now. Don't, don't, oh man, I gotta be so careful. Um, it's okay. You know, one of them, I think one of them, and this was back when they were really popular, not so much when we worked with them, but yeah, one of them had, had two, two tour buses, and one of them was like, you know, heavenly angelic, and the other one was like the devil, and yeah, two very different personalities. Lewis, the bass player. Uh -huh. <clears throat> And I, I'm, again, I'm just the white guy, fly on the wall, so right. don't take anything I say too seriously. Lewis was a little little more pleasant to be around. George, uh, you know, yeah. I, I'd rather hang out with Lewis. Okay. Um, so, you huh. know, George got the job done, but, uh, you know, Quincy used to call Lewis Thunder Thumbs. And, you know, and, and this was kind of in that, that transition where, you know, acoustic bass, uh, you know, our electric bass was transitioning into, you know, mini Moogs. Mm -hmm. So I think Quincy wanted to kind of hang on and have Lewis do a couple songs, you know, with, with you know, a, a real, a yeah. real bass. Bruce Swedeen actually has a direct box that he built specifically for Lewis Johnson. It's this direct box that's almost as big as a bowling ball. And it's got a huge transformer in it. And, and Bruce, is a, Bruce is a scientist. I mean, he uh -huh. takes this stuff so seriously. And so it's got this massive transformer in it. And I think he said when Lewis really plays, his bass will put out, I, I want to say, a couple volts. No and way. it's just it's just too much for most DIs. And uh, so Bruce had this monster direct box built just for Lewis. No way. I mean, he had it years earlier. But but that's what we always used for uh, for bass players. Okay. But, uh, but it was kind of fun the first time I actually got to you know plug Lewis's bass into you know Bruce's direct box that was yeah. made for Lewis. So wow. Kind of like hey, that's cool wild. Um, I recently read Steve Lukather's book, and Lukather plays on this. We'll get to him later. But he was he if plays I'm, on everything. Yes, he does, especially in Quincy's world. He mentioned, if I remember correctly, in his book that he thought. Lewis Johnson was a kind of a strange dude. Like they never really connected or had a normal conversation or, and I, I'm not 
this is in Luther's book. I'm not trying to, I mm-hmm. just stated how much I love these guys. So I'm not trying to drum everything up, anything up, but that's what he said. And I, so I got the impression maybe Lou was, Lewis was just kind of an odd duck or a weird guy to have around, but it sounds like he was a nice, he was a pretty nice guy. I, I, I don't, I don't have any, you know, bad memories of Lewis. Of the two, I, I just, I remember George a little bit more and George, George was just oh, not, not really my cup of tea. Okay. So it's kind of funny if I if I were if I would write that sentence I would I would use the other first name, right. but um, but but that's okay. okay. I mean, okay. Maybe Luke III, you know, dives George. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, George yeah. just a little, little bit of a darker persona. You know, it's so many names and so many years. I don't really remember you know a lot of you know conversation with Lewis. Mm. Um, I just know that he'd, he'd come in, he'd plug up, plug up. And he would just play, wow. and it was it was good, it was serious, and he, he knew what he was doing. And so did George. It was just two different, two very different vibes. Okay, good to know. I should also mention singing backup. Backup on this song are James Ingram, Cyrita Wright, <laughs> and Luther Vandross. <laughs> yeah, singing backup. Uh, you, I mean, to the point where you can't even James and James especially has a moment later that we'll get to, but. You could you can't even necessarily pick those guys out, but there they are, three legends right there. Well, have you ever heard the Donna Summer song "State of Independence"? Yes. Oh yeah. I mean, I didn't work on that. That was before my time, but that's got that's got freaking Michael in the back. I mean, that's got everybody. Does in it the really? Choir. I don't know if I knew that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's got Michael, James, everybody is is singing back up on her song. It's wow. like only Quincy's going to pull that kind of stuff yeah. off. Okay, some of the people I just want to throw out, some of the people who, uh, other people who played, there are three keyboardists listed on this song, and they are three of the greatest of all time. David Page, Steve Porcaro, and Greg Fillingaines are all listed as keyboard players. Why do you need three right. of the greatest keyboard players ever on one song? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, okay. it's Quincy. Maybe because you can, um, I guess. Well, I mean, the Toto guys are always there. Yeah, um, that's what I figured. You know, we're all, we're always going to have uh, Paige and Bacaro. I mean, they're you know five minutes away. Okay. So so if we need them, and uh, and and same with Greg. I mean, Greg was very involved in this project. Um, I want to say I'm 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 just I'm trying to think the song through really quick. I I, I want to say Greg actually plays piano, mm. and you know, Bacaro is going to do more of his. You know, kind of, kind of more of the ethereal stuff. Okay. Um, and, and Paige is probably, you know, play more of the straight-ahead keyboard sounds. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, it's just there's so much muscle on every song. Um, okay. Well, well, and, then you've got, uh, then you've got Ray. I mean, yes. You, you oh got, my gosh, I skipped over Ray. Oh my gosh, yeah. and Shaka. So yeah. So if I remember it right. And, you know, it, there's, there's a lot of blurry stuff going on in my brain. I think I think Shaka was first. I, oh. I think we had Shaka there for a day or two. And we did Places. And we did I'll Be Good to You. Um, and she, I don't know if she's saying something else. But I'm pretty sure we had her first. And I think Ray came later in the project. Now, I've kind of been belittling myself a little bit and saying, you know, I'm a white guy that didn't grow up on this stuff. Well, everybody knows who Ray Charles is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm like nervous, and and here here he comes. You yeah. know, he walks in the door, 
And I'll never forget his assistant. And I wish I could remember his assistant's name. He was just this, this gentle black man that just guided Ray around. And I actually, you know, Ray and Quincy, they go back to Seattle, you know, when they were, I think, 10, 12 years old, something like that. So they're just, you know, they're they're back telling stories and telling jokes and everything. And I remember I, I actually spent a little bit of time with, with Ray's assistant, you know, because there's a there's a pecking order. You uh-huh. know, I'm 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 the young guy. I'm I'm not going to jump in and try and roll with, you know, Quincy and Ray. That's not appropriate. But I just saw this, this guy kind of sitting in the corner, sipping coffee. I just went and sat with him, and, and we had a really nice conversation. I said, "What you know? What an amazing life that you yeah. you have given your life to another human being." Because it's a full time, seven day uh-huh. <laughs> a week yeah. job, and I wish I could remember his name because he was just he was a, a really kind, sweet man. And uh, but I was on the one hand, I'm watching Ray. And then I'm also, you know, just kind of talking to, to this gentleman. And yeah, it was, it was amazing. Hmm. So Ray, Ray goes out and, um, and Ray played organ on this or something, backing vocals. I'm so embarrassed, but I, I know that he, he sang to do the vocals and I don't know how we got them printed up in Braille. Somehow Gosh. that was taken care of. Gosh. Um, so he had, he had lyrics. I mean, we had a fan, we had a, Dolly Levine and uh, Leslie, uh, what was Leslie's last name? I'm cheating. I'm looking at my, my liner notes here. Anyway, they were kind of our production assistants, and, and they would just move, move mountains and, and get things done. But Ray was, you know, he, he's funny. I mean, it's just it? joke after joke after joke, and he's talking about, you know, about his last divorce huh. and how, how much it cost him. And and I, it's just way too vulgar to use the words that, uh, <laughs> that he, but he was just not scared of anything. I mean, yeah. he, he's the center of attention. He comes in and he just takes over and, uh, and you just fall in love with the guy. I he, bet. He's funny and he's talented. He just, he nailed it in a few takes and it was done. Gosh, I think, I think this was about that time when he was doing those Pepsi commercials. You got the right one, baby. Remember how huge those yeah. were? with the Ray mm-hmm. Lentz and everything, that had to have sort of, it sounds odd, but I almost feel like those commercials gave him sort of the second wind in a lot of ways because it introduced him to new generations of people who weren't, you know, that were paying attention to Pepsi commercials. So he right. was probably riding high around this time, you know, I don't know, financially, artistically, whatever it might have been. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and no, just, just funny, lovable, I mean, basically the you know what you've seen on the talk shows and yeah. you know and uh, that's that's who it is i mean okay. he comes in and it's just the the uh the he's the life of the party okay. and, and in a good way not yeah. an annoying uh just he's just remarkably funny okay um geez i i got so focused on the johnson brothers that i forgot to even go back to ray and shaka i can't believe it gosh the the crowding I, achievements i have to tell you one more story about this song yeah please uh, I told my wife this story last night, and uh, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to tell this to John or not, but <laughs> we, we mixed this. I, have, I, have, I really haven't told this. I mean, very few people, but okay. after 30 years, I, I don't think I'll get my hand slapped too hard. Let's do it. Uh, it's, it's, Bruce mixed this song, um, and it's, you're just exhausted. I mean, I'm literally sleeping in a, in a 
mic cable closet, you know, just for a couple hours sleep, a packing blanket. Uh-huh. And then you get up and because during mix, I mean, it's just morning till morning. Yeah. So it's like two in the morning and Bruce mixed it. Uh, he probably finished mixing around one, something like that. And then he went home and he called Bruce and Quincy always called me Braddy Daddy. And he mm-hmm. said, Braddy Daddy, you know, you know, make, make a safety, you know, drop a leader on it, make a safety and, uh, and I'll see you tomorrow. So back then we were mixing to a machine called a Mitsubishi X86. And it was a two track digital machine, uh, really nice sounding tape machine. And, but it's digital and digital still kind of new. So I'm, I'm doing the, the transfer or something. And I I think I fell asleep in the chair and the song gets to the fade. And I thought it was done. And I just hit stop and I Uh grabbed the razor and I cut the tape Uh and I dropped the leader, which, which means for people that don't, I think your listeners know what I'm talking about, but uh, you know, a, a piece of plastic tape that doesn't, have audio on it and I put a leader on it, you know, for a couple seconds and I go back and I listen to it and here the fade is about 70% faded and, and here comes the leader and I, you know, I, I ruined it. Oh no. So I'm like, I, I can't, I'm, I'm terrified. Yeah. So I'm like, so I, I went to the, I think we mixed this at Westlake cause I went to the shop and there was there was a tech in there and and i was like white and shaking and i said i really made a big mistake can you come in here so he went in and we looked at it well we took the leader out and we we attached the two pieces of tape back together again and it actually played oh which good. Was digital tape the digital tape that's <laughs> scary you know because it's a it's a bless you it's a 50 50 chance yeah but then I'm like, okay, now it's time for, you know, t- time for the ethical quiz. Um, do I tell Bruce and, you know, cause you can't go to a Bernie Grunman's and master a tape that's got a splice in it. And so I, I chose plan B and I made an absolute perfect uh, safety copy of that tape. And that became the master. No so way. All, yeah. Never told a soul. <laughs> nice save. <laughs> I, I I I actually think somewhere in my uh, in my garage I have the master mix of I'll be good to you and uh, wow with the splice oh man I, I just I chickened out I just couldn't I I was convinced that it sounded absolutely perfect so so Bruce, does, I apologize. did anyone ever know did anyone did oh, you just no. it got all passed I, off no one asked no 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 oh that's great. no 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 good for you so. man. Good for you. Yeah. Nice save. Yeah. I love it. Well, that's one word for it. <laughs> I, 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 I lived another day. Good. Um, okay. Track five is another one of these little weird things. The verb to be. Can cause the connoisseurs of speech to get the heebie-jeebies. But after all, if you don't be and they don't be, who do? So allow us to personify and conjugate the verb to be for you. Um, it's when an introduction to the back. next song, basically, which right. comes up a lot. Um, it's a little odd. I don't. I mean, I don't. It's uh, it's it's what it is. Little interstitial yep. moment. Okay. We're yeah, I got I got no I got no great stories on it. Good. That's what I figured. Um, now track six. We be doing it. 
um, acapella party. We got that rhythm pumping up a beat without a drummer. Tell me, ain't it tough? We got great big bottom getting down. Got the only low bass, baby, when there ain't no bass around. Out of the gate, you immediately hear the great Bobby McFerrin. He's a guy, I I hope you tell me that he's a good guy because I've always felt a little sorry for Bobby McFerrin and because I think he's a supremely talented person that does what he does really well and no one else does it. And because some people like Chuck D, who I'm actually a bigger fan of, uh, come along and sort of, you know, put him down he loses all street cred and and it never takes off like it should and he's made to feel dumb or lame for putting out a song that made a lot of people happy at one time you know you shouldn't have to feel that way that's my feeling about Bobby McFerrin now you tell me yeah. what's, what's he like uh, I, I I think you phrased it very well I mean okay. you know the, the the curse of a of a monster hit and yeah. especially kind of a, a unique monster hit mm-hmm. is your pigeonhole yeah. And uh, and this is just my opinion. This is not. Uh, I'm certainly not speaking for Quincy or anybody else. But yeah, I mean Bobby. He you know he had that, that you know don't worry be happy thing. And uh, yeah, yeah, I liked it. But yeah. uh, I think like a lot of people, yeah, that becomes who Bobby McFerrin is. So yeah, yeah. I, I think that that probably pigeonholed him. I think a lot of people just didn't get past that. Yeah, and when you've got kind of the hardcore street rappers coming after you like that. You lose all street cred, which is which is important in the black community in a lot of ways, especially with musicians or and, and I'll be honest, that. yeah, and I don't really know that side of it, so yeah. I don't know a whole lot about what you're saying. Um, just in all honesty, okay. Um, he, he, he took he took obviously he took some hits. Yeah, Public Enemy, one of my favorite songs of all time, uh, "Fight the Power." They there's a line in there. Um, don't worry, be happy was a number one jam. Um, you can slap me right here. I think I'm cutting out the, the swear words. But anyway, it minimized his... It took a shot. It, it took a shot. And when the rap community the, you know, that we've talked about, when those guys are not feeling you, it carries a lot of weight, unfortunately. So anyway, right. Right. Um, what, did, what, does, what does Bobby McFerrin order for lunch? <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, okay. Well, you mentioned earlier, like the cheeseburgers, and that there was good food. And I thought, I want to know what some of these people do. They make special uh, well, requests, okay. you know? Uh, well, I'll tell you about Quincy. Okay. Um, so, so Quincy had his own chef uh, back then. I think it was Jean Luc, mm. you know, French French trained chef. And I might have mentioned this in the, in the Michael thing that we talked about. I can't remember. 
Um, but Jean-Luc would make these, the, the freaking best chicken sandwiches you ever had in your life. You know, roasted chicken, uh, white toast, uh, homemade mayonnaise, and little thin slices of jalapeno. Mm. And then you cut them, cut them into triangles. Mm. And so he'd bring, he'd bring enough for Quincy and, and maybe Rod. And the rest of us are just looking at, you know, the two of them just, you know, killing this food. You know, Bruce might get one. Uh, but every now and then, Jean-Luc would make, you know, a big platter, and we, you know, we, we could all eat. No, I mean, Quincy loves good food. Okay. Quincy loves good food, uh, good wine, and uh, and, and very uh, uh, legally young women. Um, uh, and I'll say that in all honesty. So, I mean, he, he, had, he had some, you know, some, he used to call them his nieces. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Yeah, I get it. Uh, but I mean, in 2019, it just sounds so terrible because of what's in the news. It, there was absolutely nothing, you know, underage or, you know. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was, you know, it was father daughter day, you know, a few times. White women, too, there. primarily, right? Uh, yeah, no, he, he it, was, it, it was a good variety. Okay. Um, okay. And, uh, but, but I mean, I don't know how I got on that topic. But, That's okay. But that it's was, fun. But I mean, it was all part of it. Yeah. And, and it, it wasn't, it wasn't lurid. It wasn't, you know, go sneak in the back room for an hour. It wasn't like that, but no, I mean, he, he loved having, you know, beautiful women around. And as far as food, I mean, he, you know, Quincy's not really going to eat a cheeseburger from McDonald's. Okay. I mean, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a good pasta. It's going to yeah. be, now he, you know, he did love ribs. I mean, we, we do okay. Southern food quite a bit. So yeah, I mean, when, when these guys would come, I wish I could remember the name of the restaurant, right, right next door to record one. I'm sure it's long, long, long gone, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, if you, if you haven't spent a lot of time in, in studios on big budget albums, mm-hmm. um, you know, there, there's a menu book and okay. it seems like these musicians always show up hungry, of you course. know, they're always hungry. <laughs> and, uh, so and yeah, so we're gonna feed them, and that's yeah. all. That's all part of the gig. Yeah. So I, okay. I don't remember Bobby McFerrin specifically what he okay. wanted, but uh, but no, there was there was always. I mean, sushi. There was always good food. Yeah. Um, yeah there, there wasn't a lot of alcohol. And, Interesting, huh? Yeah, I, I've thought about that a, a few times. I I don't remember very rarely. I mean, when Quincy came to the studio, it was to work. Uh huh. Yeah, maybe there might have been a bottle of wine a couple times, but but very very rarely. Interesting. Um, okay. Any weed you know, he, he would, or cocaine? No. You don't have to think, say who does it. I'm just curious. I, oh, I don't care. Okay. Um, okay. No, I think uh, yeah. I mean, Rod. You know, Rod, Rod was a chain smoker, but, okay. but just Marlboros and just constant, constant Marlboros. I want to say when George Johnson was there, um, he he might have smoked a joint or two, but. I think a lot of these guys, they were so, you know, they're in a multi-million dollar studio. Uh-huh. You know, Bruce Swedeen is sitting, you know, behind the the console with his bifocals looking at them. You know, and it's it's high dollars. And yeah. I mean, it's, you know, and Quincy just kind of sets that tone that, yeah. you know, hey, this is going to be fun, but we're here to work. So, yeah, I mean, the rappers, I mean, no. I mean, I, yeah, maybe they went out in the parking lot and passed a joint around, but... Okay. Uh, yeah it, yeah, it really wasn't, it, it was not front and center on the project at all. Okay. Okay. I was just curious. You're, you're so yeah. good at being open and honest. I thought, let's go for it. I'll ask. 
Um, no, I'll wait. Okay. Last question about this kind of thing, and then I'll get back to the song. Who pulls up in the morning with the nicest car, and what is that car? Oh, that's funny. That, that's I like that question. So Bruce drives like a Ford Bronco, and, and it's got like some ten thousand dollar stereo system in it. But but it's just it's a farm truck. Uh huh. Um, I mean, it's a nice Bronco, but but you know he's he, he's got that going on. Rod doesn't drive. Really? So Rod usually comes in in a taxi. Sometimes Kathy would bring him, his girlfriend, but normally he would come in in a taxi. Quincy, uh, one of his security, Quincy doesn't drive either. No way. So uh, Rod, you, it, it's crazy. But Rod says he used to drive when he was touring with Heatwave, and he said, I drove a van all over Europe, and I never want to drive again. No way. And he could afford not to drive. Huh. So, uh, and, and it was funny. He would rent. He and Kathy, they lived in, in uh, the top of Mulho- uh, Bel Air, uh, up on Mulholland. And he would rent just the dumbest cars. It'd be like a little <laughs> Toyota Camry or Celica or something. And it's like, you're Rod Temperton. Yeah. But he... <laughs> But he would just rent a car for like three months and turn it in, get a different one. Um, but he he didn't drive. Quincy during the Bad album. I mean this this tour this story's been told a few times. But uh, Quincy got a new Jaguar, mm. and his driver uh, I can't remember his name. Um, it was one of the security guys. You know, drove him in the Jag, and then Quincy comes in. This is during the Bad album, not mm-hmm. during Back on the Block. And he says, hey, you guys got to come out and see my car. And, you know, like Bruce and Rod and Derry, you know, a bunch of us all go out and they pile in his car and he starts it and turns the radio on and got the, you know, music pumping uh-huh. and revs the engine, but just sits there in the parking lot. <laughs> he, he can't drive it. <laughs> and then he's like, come on, nice. And, <laughs> and gets out and locks the door and goes back in and gets to work. So yeah, Quincy. Yeah, Quincy usually showed up in a nice Mercedes. Now I think no, he was usually in I think in town cars. Okay. Uh, he, he had a pretty nice little fleet of cars up at the house. Wow. So yeah, Quincy. Quincy would probably win that that okay. battle. I okay. I honestly can't remember what Jerry drove. Um, I'm sure it was a nice nice little Mercedes or something. Okay. Oh my gosh, that's so great. But they weren't really they weren't really cars. I mean, Rod could care yeah. less. Yeah. Bruce no. was happy in a in a Bronco and I think Quincy like, you know, a little bit of luxury, but yeah, but it wasn't, it wasn't Ferraris and the, okay. you know, limos and all that nonsense. Okay. All right. Good. Interesting. I'm glad I asked. Um, okay. To finish up on, we be doing it. This is, and these two will come up again later, but this is one of the last recordings ever featuring Sarah Vaughn and Ella Fitzgerald. Did those two come into the studio? What was it like on the, on that day? Did they come in at the same time? Did they have, I don't know how old or frail either. I think they were both, you know, not doing too hot health-wise right. around that time. What was it like? What was the temperature in the room like? Um, I don't think they came in the same day. Okay. I'm pretty sure they didn't. I seem to remember uh, Ella came in first. Okay. And Ella was actually in good shape. Okay. And, I mean, she, she was, you know, bouncing around and... Uh, funny and again i i just don't know the whole history of who these people are 
other than it's a familiar name. Yeah. And it's like, wow, I'm in the same room with Ella Fitzgerald and she's singing and this yeah. is crazy. Sarah was, was I, as I recall, much more frail. Mm. And I, I seem to remember we used to have our vocalists uh, would usually stand on a drum riser. That was just the way Bruce does vocals. He had them up, you know, it's like a little six, eight inch riser off the floor. And I, I'm 90% sure I remember helping Sarah up that little step. Mm. And, uh, and I think Quincy was out there, but you know, it wasn't like she was going to fall over, but no, yeah. she was, she was an older lady. And I, I just remember being very cognizant of, you know, the, she's, you know, the, yeah. this is, this is her victory lap. Yeah. And, you know, just, you're really kind of tuning into it yeah, and okay. going, I don't, you know, but then listening to her, you know, start doing her, uh, you know, her little ad libs and uh, just letting go. And it's like, she was, you know, like a 20 year old. Yeah. That part of it was amazing. Okay. When those two come on the, come in the studio, does Rod stop smoking? Do the guys all stop swearing? Does, does it, you know what I mean? Like, is it, like this, does the sailor locker room talk stop at that moment, uh, or are those man, two good to get down to? You're good, John. I I, I really enjoy this. That's a, oh, that's a great question. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Rod is not gonna stop smoking. You know, <laughs> uh, un, unless you know the walls are burning. Uh, okay. He's you know that's that's an appendage, unfortunately. As far as the rest of it, no. I mean, okay. Quincy Quincy's gonna be Quincy and. And these are, you know, I mean, Shaka, I mean, she, she's going to get mm. down and dirty with, with anybody. And there's a little bit of a, um, I don't know, entertainment factor of, you know, if a new person comes in, they've got to kind of, you know, join the, I, I don't want to say boys club, sure. but, um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's certainly respect, okay. um, but at the same time, they've, these people go back decades. Yeah. And and I'm sitting there sipping on a cup of coffee, just watching. Yeah. So I don't know where they've been, what they've done. Um, there, but there's just genuine friendships and respect there that yeah. uh, they just pick up where they left off. Okay. Very cool. Okay. Track seven. Place you find. Oh, no, oh. no, you you kind of skipped one whole part of we be doing it. Now I'll, I'll just to, please. I mean, you know, it really is a cappella. Oh so, yes, I forgot. Oh yeah. Thank you so, once again. You know, so the drums and everything are Quincy beating his chest. Really? So everything, yeah, it's very much, you know, it's a Bobby McFerrin, Don't Worry, Be Happy. I honestly, I don't love the song. You know, I, I like some of the, you know, some of the background vocals. And, uh-huh. and Saida does a great job. Yep. I just, I, I never really loved it, but huh. it, that's, but it's not, it certainly wasn't written for Brad Sundberg. So, sure. so that's okay. Yeah. Um, that's so interesting. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. I should. I meant to say Saida, but she comes up again here a few more times. Um, and take six, sing back up on this, and they're going to come up a little bit later too. They have a really big standout moment. Um, yeah. Yeah. I. Um, I don't mind it. I mean, in general, I don't cater to these kinds of you know that kind of doo wop song in general. But I felt like this was right. a you know a modern enough version of that. I have a like I said, I don't own. Bobby McFerrin's stuff, but I have a lot of respect for the guy. So I was, I've always been okay with that song. Um, yeah, not, yeah. I mean, yesterday I, I've been kind of listening to the, to the album, you know, knowing that's going to be talking to you about it. And yeah, I mean, I, I have an, kind of an older appreciation of it now that, 
back then it was kind of a, a little bit of an eye roller for me, mm. but now I look at it and go, you know what? It's, it's, you know, it's yeah. a cool little song. It's once you want to kind of do it, you know, without any instruments and creating yeah. everything from the human body. And it's, yeah, yeah. it is what Good. it is. Okay. Um, okay. The places you find love. This is track seven. This also won a Grammy for best instrumental arrangement with vocals. sounds like the man in the mirror moment you know right yeah well let's let's go back in time so let's go back about a year and we're working with Barbara Streisand so uh, I, we did two songs with Barbara uh, one of them was produced by Phil Ramone and one was produced by, by Quincy so Quincy's was Places You Find Love which was written by uh, yeah by Glenn and Cliff Glenn yeah. Ballard and Cliff Magnus, um, Glenn and Saida wrote Man in the Mirror. Mm, so it definitely right. has kind of that, that first cousin vibe. So we did this song with Barbara. And and I'm not going to say that Quincy held back, but uh, Barbara's version is, you know, is like taking a nap. And I, I've got to be really careful because I'm just, it's not that I don't like Barbara, I should probably just stop talking right now. But <laughs> I'm with you, but but it's not really my thing. Yeah, um, you know, yeah, she, she's never really been my go-to. So, but we're doing this, you know, this song with her, and it's pretty, and and it's kind of like, you know, okay, you know, it's it's a Quincy song, it's, it's uh, Quincy's doing a nice job on it. But I think in the back of his mind, he was thinking, I'm going to really do this song. Yeah, and if if you listen to Barbara's version. And then pop Quincy's in. It's it's kind of embarrassing. Is it um, really? Yeah, he pull. It's just like he pulls out all the stops on his. Mm -hmm. and, and and then Barbara's again. Barbara's almost like a demo. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Is Saida? She's the main. She's the lead vocalist on this, right? Well, well, Saida and Shaka. Oh yeah, well yes, right. Shot Saeed, unfortunately, Saida's voice isn't as well known. You know what I mean? As Shaka's, you can point out someone like Shaka or Ella or whatever. Saida's is less familiar, and uh, so I just wanted to make sure that she was on there at least. That's her voice because I got that wrong earlier. 
Yeah, and, and Saida and I are still friends, Good. and uh, um, I, I love Saida, and, yeah. and I, I've always thought that, uh, you know, between this album and her, her solo album, um, I think Quincy and Rod were, were doing all they could to yeah. just push her into the stratosphere, and it, it never really happened. And I, I love her and respect her and, and, uh, and, you know, I, I would have loved for her to have, yeah. you know, for her, for her voice to have taken her further and, and she's had an amazing career. Yeah. But yeah. So she and Shaka saying this and actually saying it on the same night, which Ooh, is kind really? of unusual. And I, now they didn't sing it together, no. but I think, I think Saida went first. And I want to say we did this at record one. No, at Westlake, Westlake Studio D. I want to say Saida went first, and there were quite a few people in the control room. I mean, it would have been me, Bruce, Rod, uh, Jerry, probably Ian, Cliff might have been there. So it's a pretty good little group. And Saida, I'm pretty sure she went first. And And she just tears up her vocal. And then Shaka goes out. And Shaka's just got that beautiful low voice she starts out with. You know, that you know, it's a river and she just lets loose. And it's it's basically her sword fighting. And I, I still remember I'm I'm in the control room and we're all in the control room. And Shaka came in after she did her first take and Saida jumps out of the off the sofa and just starts screaming at her. Bitch! What? You bitch! <laughs> <laughs> yes! And she's, she is just laughing, and we're laughing, and Shaka's just, you know, the, I mean, uh, you know, they, they were laughing and hugging and everything, but it was like, it's on. And, that is great! And, I, I, and I'm pretty sure they went back and forth and did a few more takes, and they, they you know, they may have done the out chorus together, um, but as far as the solo parts, uh, you know, verse one, verse two, yeah, they, they were out there by themselves, and it was it was just fierce competition. That is why and, that's just what you want to hear. That is great. Yeah, and and if you're Saida, man, you're yeah. you're gonna keep up with Shaka. You know, you are not gonna you know let Shaka Khan roll all over you. That's right. So, right. Yeah, that that was fun. Very, huh. you know, just just watching. Uh, you're just watching two heavyweight, yeah. you know, uh, prize fighters just go at it, and it's yeah. like this is—I'm actually getting paid for this. This is unbelievable. Do they have special requests when they sing? Like, do they put, uh, you know, scarves over the lights or light candles, or you know, bring a little pocket dogs like some famous, you know, what mm-hmm. do they do? They do those kinds of things: spray perfume oh. or light incense. Man, man, it's like you've come to some of my lectures because you're 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 right on point. Um, I'm I, I'm pretty good at working with you know with female singers in particular. So I mean, I know how to set the lights. I know how to have the room. You know how to have it feel. And and I've learned from Bruce. You know, I'm not taking any credit at all. You know, Bruce taught me how to work with singers. So you know, with Saida, I've worked with her so much. Um, and she's very comfortable around us. So I, I, you know, I know, I honestly, I can't remember what kind of tea she liked, but you know, she liked tea, uh, with Shaka. It was the first time I'd ever worked with her. I, I don't remember any, there okay. certainly wasn't any diva nonsense oh, going good. on at all. Okay. 
I never like to steal Quincy's lines because they're Quincy's. But, you uh-huh. know, Quincy's whole thing is, you know, check your ego at the door. Yeah. You know, we're here to do a job. Right. So uh, he, he had all of that under control, you know, before they walked in. And they're going to walk in, and my studio is going to be ready. Bruce is going to be ready. The tape is ready. There's there's really no there's no reason for a singer to have a meltdown and say, you know, mm-hmm. I thought you guys were pros because we, we were pros. Yeah. So everything's going to work, and we're going to make the room as comfortable as possible. Yeah, we're not burning incense or lighting candles okay. necessarily. I mean, the only the only backside of that would be is that there is a film crew there. Oh, and right. we just we just got so used to it, yeah. and I'm sure Quincy had already you know they'd already signed all the releases and everything, so they they knew what they were walking into, and and they're pros, mm-hmm. so yeah, okay. there there was never never any drama about you know where, where's my lads or candles. Okay, okay. Um, I just thought of a maybe this is a really odd question. What do women wear when they come to the studio? Do they get dressed up? Or is it like, I've got to belt out a tune today. I'm going to wear an elastic waistband and a t-shirt and I don't need my makeup done. Or, you know what I mean? Like, do they, do they, does the one-upmanship come down to even like their fashion and their makeup? Or is it more like they're, I have to sing and I need comfortable clothes to do it in? Right. No, no, it is a good question. Um, Saida, I mean, Saida is a beautiful woman. And, uh, and, and, and she knew it and she was gonna, I mean, certainly not crossing into trampy or anything, but no, I mean, she, she would always dress impeccably. No, she would dress up to come to the studio. I've worked with her, believe it or not. I, I used to do jingles with her. Um, she used to do a bunch of, I think she would do some jingles with Lanny music and, you know, on on stuff like that, it's going to be more like jeans and a sweater or whatever. But yeah, with Quincy and and with Michael, she would, she she would dial up a little bit. I I would say, especially on this project, again, we all knew that it was being filmed. And, and so I think, you know, they, they'd kind of been, you know, prepped a little bit, you know, Hey, you might want to buff up a little bit, but in general, uh, you know, the, the 80s are just so much different, you know, than, than 2019. You'd still, like, put on a clean shirt when you're going to go on an airplane. And I think the on a session like this, you know, I mean, guys are going to be guys. They're, yeah. you know, they're going to show up in jeans and a T-shirt. And, and that sounds so sexist, and I don't, I, I didn't mean no, it to come off normal. that way. But, sure. but um, yeah, I, I do remember, I mean, I mean, Ella and Sarah, no, they, they, they look nice. Okay. I mean, this was... This was a big deal, and yeah. I think everybody knew it. Okay, okay, all right, boy. I feel like I feel like every song we talk about could deserves its own episode here, practically. So let me read I'll, off some. I'll, let me let me stay on places just for another ten seconds. When when I do my seminars, um, and this I'm not I'm not tooting my own horn, but I, I teach people. I take them through something that I call ear training, and it's the out. I play them the out chorus of places you find love. Really? And I'll tell them, I want you to close your eyes and you're going to listen to about 140 tracks of, you know, of music. And yeah. I want you to listen to, you know, for the French horn, I want you to listen for the African callbacks and not just hear this wall of sound, but really start listening to what's inside all of that. So to me, this is one of Bruce's, it's just a masterful mix. Yeah. Oh wow, um, that another goosebump moment. You're so right. If you take a song apart and you just listen to the parts, or you try to hone in on that stuff, 
it brings new light to everything. So many new depths, you know, mm-hmm. to a song like this one, especially. Um, speaking of depths, Herbie, Han- Herbie Hancock has a solo. Jerry Hay plays the trumpet. Uh, Howard Hewitt, <laughs> Jennifer Holliday, Luther Vandross, and Dion Warwick are all singing backup <laughs> on this song. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it some of that stuff. I mean, I'm I'm more than slightly embarrassed. Um, some of it happened so fast. I I don't remember Dionne Warwick, mm. and I did grow up with her music. I mean, that's just some gorgeous stuff. And it it might have been uh, there were some times when we had two studios going. Uh, we had another engineer. I think his name was Alan, and there might have been some of that was happening. Um, some of the BG vocals, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was just, you know, musical great after musical great. And, and those guys, I mean, maybe, you know, if they're going to do BG vocals on, on places, they might only be there for 45 minutes. Yeah. I mean, they're going to be ready. We're ready. Come in, bang it out, have, grab a sandwich, you know, mm-hmm. see you, see you soon. Mm-hmm. So I, I wish I had a unique story about every artist, but no, I know. That's okay. It just, it moved, it happened so fast. Yeah. Once again, Peyton Porcaro on this one, Michael Landau on guitars, and John J.R. Robinson on drums. And for anyone who doesn't know that, think they know that name, he's they, played they know on... They sound. Yes, he's played on literally thousands of songs you would know. He's like the, yeah. he's like a Steve Lukather, only of drums. And then once again, Andre Crouch's choir... <laughs> Makes an appearance in here, and it's beautiful. Real quick, I want to ask you about Glenn Ballard, but specifically Cliff Magnus. Cliff is a guy mm-hmm. that I've only just discovered recently. One of my listeners sent me a mix CD of songs he thought I would like, and one of them is a Cliff song, called, and it's called uh, Jenny's in Love. And uh, I love, I fell in love with this song. It's, it's the greatest AOR rock song I can think of. Really? And, yeah, it's so good. And so I've been meaning to get him on my show to see if he would talk to me. And then I find this is all happening as you and I are talking about doing this. And I see his name on the credits. How did Cliff Magnus get involved here? Because this is his only thing, is co-writing this song. Yeah, we, we worked with Cliff on a... It seems to me we worked with Cliff on some stuff on Michael's record. Because uh-huh. um, I knew I knew Cliff. He, he, he was a pretty... I mean, we're not, we're not you know we're not buddies to this day, yeah. but he, he was, he was just a nice guy. He was young, probably. A, I, I kind of picture him with like a, a mullet or, you know, kind of, <laughs> kind of curly blonde hair, but right. long it, talented guy, a uh, good guitar player. We knew him. Okay. So there was some connection. Uh, I want to say back to the bad album because, because he and Glenn, uh, I know he was very involved in man in the mirror. Mm. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I mean, j- just a, a pleasant, sweet guy to okay. to have around. But, but like you said, I think it was primarily on this one song. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to track him down. Um, I'm really fascinated by that guy. I've just discovered him recently, and I love it. What, love what I've heard. What, what's the name of the song? I, I'm going to write it down. I want yeah, to it's uh, Jenny's Still in Love. And uh, it's on a solo album he made in the mid-'90s. But it was it's a throwback to 80s AOR rock. And awesome. This song is has become like one of my favorite songs ever, and I just discovered it a few months ago. Wow! And, yeah, well, now you got me excited. All right, yeah, I'm gonna check, check that it out. out. I love it. Okay, uh, let's move on to jazz corner of the world. This is technically another one of those little prelude kind of things, but there are so many 
amazing people who appear on this. In this hotel room in the Book of Washington Hotel. There was nothing to do but play, you know, and we had a lot of fun trying to play. Right after that, man, Charlie Parker was mine. That was the first time I ever had the pleasure to meet Dizzy Gillespie. I didn't remember Miles. Miles was in my original band. And Charlie Parker created the style. And the moment I heard him, I said, that's how music should sound. A tribute to the Birdman, the father of Birdland, a masterpiece, a release, the horns, words, and the musical great salute the late. Mentor, inventor of a sound that dates back from bebop to pop and pop to hip hop. Refuse the times of jazz and rhymes and got it. Kumo Deegan, Big Daddy Kane, to bring on the legends, Kane hit the name. I kick a rap too, but you can relax too. A jazz soloist, play away with the sax to get the job done. The next one up to do his duty. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. James Moody. No one goes the mile like Miles Davis. Watch how he plays this trumpet and pump it just like a mechanic handles a tool. Here's the rebirth of the cool. What kind of noise can a string bring making you swing and sing things of a musical fling? Well, listen to this star. Next up is, uh, oh, George Benson bringing a guitar. A choice used just like an instrument, so magnificent. I'm proud to present Devon Sassio, aka Sarah Vaughn. Honey, you're on. I'm introducing a Bach revolution in jazz that has bazans. Here's one player using it. Ask who is he? First name Dizzy, last name Galepsy. Now watch him get busy. <laughs> Allow me to tell a story about Ella Fitzgerald, whose sound can never be sterile. A woman with flexibility of range, making actors change. Go ahead and do your thing. This is a shout out to one more man, Joe Zawinul, the writer of Birdland. In the 50s, this was the place to be, from the bands down to the major D. Now, who could forget the MC on the set, the ambulant voice of Pee Wee Marquette? Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we have something special down here at Birdland this evening. A sound so profound has come back around. 56th Street is now world-renowned with licks to kick and swift riffs to stick. Today, Bebop makes the hip-hop pick. So you can't, you can't skim over it. I mean, no. once again, we hear from Cool Modi, Big Daddy Kane again. But then, George Benson is on guitar just for a few seconds. Miles Davis is just for a few seconds. Ella and Sarah are on this again. Dizzy Gillespie, James Moody, all on here just for a few seconds. How did that? How did that happen? Well, again, I'm, not, I'm certainly not trying to sound like Mr. Musicologist by any uh -huh. means, but, but I think right off the bat, this is Quincy's way of saying, you know, let's let's have the rappers pay homage yeah. to those that went before them. Yeah. And you know, when you've got what Cool Mo D introducing Ella Fitzgerald, yeah. I mean, you know, stop it. I mean, that's just, that's very powerful. I mean, it, it, it certainly didn't happen all at once. And, you know, something we've kind of skipped over, we've skipped over a thousand things, but uh, Quincy's, Quincy's brain of, um, I'm not a musician and I understand music. I know how to get good sounds out of, out of people. But as far as arranging, you know, how you can look at a blank uh, piece of paper and start hearing an orchestra mm -hmm. and knowing 
every single note, every single, you know, what you want the oboe to do, what you want the violin to do, what you want the clarinet to do. I don't get it. I yeah. mean, that, that's a whole different level of genius that, that goes way beyond my brain. So Quincy can hear something like, you know, jazz corner of the world in the way I perceive it, like an arrangement. Mm. And he, he wants these rappers. He wants this drum groove. He wants, uh, the, the handoff, you know, kind of from one generation to another. So it's not just music, but it's, it's emotion. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing I wanted to ask you about is that when, do you know how, how much forethought was given to who would play on each one of these songs? Do you know? Like if um, if he couldn't have gotten Miles Davis, would he have gotten somebody else? Or was the, when he conceived this song, was it, no, I'm going to, I need exactly these act, these rappers. I need exactly these players. Do you know how much thought went into it? That's a great question. And I'm going to do my best not to evade it. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I do know that... Uh, we we had um, I, I need to find Leslie's last name because Leslie was kind of Quincy's right hand. Uh, Leslie and Kamiko, so they would have their meetings all the time. You know, okay. Quincy would be out at the desk talking to Leslie. So I mean, he'd be out. Uh, we had kind of a little glass desk at Record One, and I think Leslie was set up over there. And you know, so he'd be back and forth, you know, Hey, let's, you know, let's find miles. Let's find. So she's on the phone all the time, mm. you know, lining up talent, she has a giant mm. calendar and she's trying to, I mean, what I wouldn't give to see that calendar today. No kidding. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, just, so I'm sure there were people, you know, maybe Michael's on that list mm -hmm. of, you know, Hey, can we get so-and-so? Well, you know, you know, no, they're not available or, mm -hmm. but I think most people in, in Quincy's world, if he calls, they're going to drop everything yeah. and, and run. And I think everyone knew this was, you know, kind of an important album. So I, I don't recall any, you know, heavy disappointment of, oh, we can't get, uh, you know, we, we can't get whoever. Um, so, and the other thing, and Steve Picaro kind of makes this joke a little bit with Quincy, he's going to bring in three, four guitar players for the same song. Mm -hmm. And when they're there, they're the greatest guitar player in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's just everyone's dancing and hands in the air, and this is awesome. And then, and then after they're gone, it's like, yeah, well, let's uh, you know, let's see if this other guy's available. Uh, <laughs> when you're with Quincy, you're the most important person in the world. I believe it. And and I mean that. I mean that goes from me to the people that brought Quincy his food to Steve Picaro, to everybody. That's part of his persona is, and it's not phony. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's amazing to be able to pull that off when someone walks in a room, Quincy lights up mm. and it makes you want to do better. That's great. And uh, he, he's, he's a master at it. Yeah. One thing I wanted to mention, and this was the song that I, want, I told myself to bring it up, is that this, uh, this album took a little bit of criticism for having heavyweights like a George Benson or a Dizzy or a Miles on the same album, and did did he use them to the fullest? You know, did, you've got these guys, and they're only playing for a few seconds. I know it's to make a broader point with, as we were saying, the theme of this album. But is it? Could it also be conversely viewed as a wasted opportunity? 
You know, did you do enough with what you had? What do you think about that? I mean, I've never really, I've never heard that. Oh. And I've never, never really thought about it. I mean, to me, you know, again, just being honest, I'm actually getting to hear Miles Davis play. Yeah. And, you know, maybe I'm not ready for a full, you know, 40 minute Miles Davis album. <laughs> this is almost like training wheels for, for stuff for the casual listener. And yet it's so good. And, and Quincy, you know, Quincy always describes things with flavors. You know, he just wants to add just a little spice, just a little salt, just a little lemon. I don't think he wanted to do, you know, a, a, a Miles Davis record. Mm. He wanted Miles to be represented on Quincy's record. Mm. That makes sense. Okay. When Miles came in, I, I, I assume all these people like Dizzy and Miles and George came into the studio to record their parts. Or did they do it somewhere else and, fo you know, mail it over? Oh, no, no, we did everybody. They did, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, George Benson, you know, I, I go back to, to when I was in high school and, you know, his song, you know, on Broadway. And again, White Kid, you know, Santa Cruz, but I love that song. It's me too. And it's, like, and it's like, here I am, you know, and when, you know, George has that sound that's so characteristically him, uh -huh. And as soon as he starts playing, I mean, I'm I'm getting goosebumps, and yeah. I'm like, this is, you know, and and I'm just an idiot. I only yeah. know the tip of his iceberg, you know, the big pop song, mm -hmm. and I know he's got a whole, you know, wealth of music underneath that. Mm -hmm. But I'm still just humbled, you yeah. know. It's like, why am I, you know, yeah. why why am I chosen? I mean, it sounds yeah. stupid, but no, I believe when it. you're in the same room with George Benson, he's playing, and it sounds like George Benson. It's like mm -hmm. How this is crazy. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, did I tell you my Miles story? No, tell me. So, uh, I, you know, how many times can I say white kid? But I'm going to say it again. <laughs> uh, it's every every night Quincy would leave, and he'd, and uh, it got to be a routine where he'd say, you know, all right, Brady, Daddy, George Benson's coming tomorrow. You know, be ready. Uh huh. And, and that was pretty much it. And, you know, and Bruce would kind of give me some instructions and they'd leave. And then I've got to kind of get the tapes ready for the next day. And Quincy would say, we're going to work on this song and this song. And uh, so he left one night and he said, all right, Brady, Daddy, uh, Miles is coming in tomorrow. Be ready. So I'm, John, I'm so stupid. Number one, it's I'm exhausted. Sure. And number two, I just, I didn't grow up on jazz. Yeah. So what do I do? I pull the Yamaha uh, nine foot grand piano out. And I set it up in the middle of the room and I've got, you know, I'm, I'm miking it the way Bruce mics it and getting it ready. Cause I think Miles Davis is a piano player. Oh, <laughs> 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 that's the whitest thing anyone has ever said <laughs> right there. And that's from the Mormon white guy too. I'm with yep, you, man. Yep, I feel you on yep, this. Yep. Yep. I'll own it. I'll own it. Um, so it's seriously like one in the morning oh. and, and I go in. So once again, I go into the shop and I, and I, I know this was at Westlake. This wasn't at record one because they had basically a, a 24 hour shop or there'd be somebody, there'd be a tech in the building whenever there was a session going on. And so I go into the shop and I'm trying to be a big shot. You know, I've like sipping my coffee and, and I'm like, yeah, you know, we got Miles Davis coming in tomorrow. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all set. You know, I've got the piano all mic'd up. And it was, I still remember the tech, his name was Ben Carr. And, and Ben just, 
he looks up at me and he's like, how stupid are you? <laughs> I'm like, what? And he goes, are you dead serious? Miles Davis is like the greatest trumpet player on the planet. And if he walks in and sees a piano, you're going to be dead. <laughs> uh, and I thanked him. I, I, ben Carr, if by any chance you hear this, thank you again for saving me. <laughs> I shove the piano back in the corner and I pretend like that never happened. And, uh, and so, yeah, the next day Miles shows up and he's got – I mean, he had one of those cars. It's just an impossible car. You know, it's a hood that's like 50 feet long. Oh, no way. And it's like something out of a Chitty Chitty Bang Bang uh-huh. movie or something. And it's like, what? He's got a zoot suit on and sunglasses and, you know, uh, Miles Davis voice. Uh-huh. I'm like, where am I? You know, this is unbelievable. And he comes in and uh, he and Quincy are just hugging and uh and he's telling his stories and quincy's telling his stories and he goes and starts to play and i never ever heard anything like it oh man wow now we only hear like i said only a few seconds uh did he play a longer thing and quincy chose to use those 10 seconds or is that all that was asked of him there, there wasn't a lot. I mean, I, okay. I think, like you said, he only, he only played on a couple songs, yeah. and I think I'm pretty sure Dizzy played first. They didn't okay. come on the same day. And once again, I mean, I can only, you know, you just keep saying the same thing over and over again. But you know, here's Dizzy with his giant puffed up cheeks, uh-huh. and I've seen, I mean, I've seen pictures of him like in Life yeah. magazine, and yeah. I'm like, I'm in here, and he's playing, and this is crazy. And I seem to think Dizzy was first. And I, I, I think Miles came in, and he was kind of clowning, going, "Yeah, you know, you know, D- Dizzy took all the good holes, and I got to kind of work around him and find some place for me." And, and, uh, but it was, you know, it, it was like that. I mean, okay. yeah, we were not, we were not there to do a jazz trumpet album, but I think it was enough of a, of a, a nod, of, you know, Quincy saying, "Hey, this stuff's important, and this yeah. is where I come from." Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's so great. I was hoping you'd bring good stories like this, Brad. You're doing it. Love it. Um, okay, track nine. As long as, long as they're self-deprecating, that's well, all that really matters. This is just beautiful. I, I love all of it. It's so good. Uh, track nine, Birdland. This also won a couple of Grammys. Best Jazz Fusion, Best Arrangement on an Instrumental.
I'll be honest, I don't have a ton to say about this. I think you have to be a... I like jazz, I respect it, you know, when I'm in the mood for it, it's just right. But I'm not in the mood for it very often. And um, I'm more in the mood for rock songs, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, it's written by and features a guy, I guess I should know, but I don't. Joe Zawinul, something like that? Yeah, Joe, Joe Zawinul, Weather Report. Oh, that's who that guy is. Okay, I wasn't... Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't, I'm mm -hmm. like you and Miles in the piano with Joe Zawinul. I wasn't no, sure I, who I, he was. No, I, I didn't know who Joe Zawinul was either. So, oh. I, you know, I, I'm in the same boat. But yeah, he came in, uh, did, did the keyboards on it. it, it I mean, it's funny because I'm like you. I'm a rock and roll guy. I love Birdland. Mm. Love it, love it. it. You know, it's probably one of my top two or three songs on this album. Huh. Um just be, I mean, you know, this is where you've got, uh, you know, Dizzy and Miles going back and forth. You know, and then you've got Jerry Hay and, and his whole gang. You know, Jerry, Bill, Larry. I mean, the, you know, that's the Sea Wind Horns right there. Yeah. yeah. So you've got them complemented with, with Miles and Dizzy. Yeah. And then you've got George Benson doing his thing. Um, and then, you know, Ella and Sarah. Yeah. And, yeah, th this song to me is amazing yeah um, yeah and and to, to hear it and feel it come together you know, now quincy's getting serious i mean now we're, we're yeah. deep into the album Good and point. he's really uh yeah. uplifting you know birdland and, and the artists that went through there this song was probably necessary i like this song too it's just i'm i'm not as keyed in on it as some of the other ones but if you're going to do an album that's devoted to showing the the merging of rap and jazz we've heard a lot all the other forms of we've heard them talk about jazz more than we've actually heard jazz on this album right so you've got to yeah. have the jazz song that ties it all together and this is it i i agree yeah okay great okay well track 10 setembro is a brazilian wedding song i know this song because it's on the boys in the hood soundtrack Yeah, that's where I heard this song first. It's uh, acapella, largely acapella. Well, it's got take six again. And these guys didn't, you know, they didn't amount to much, but they were one of those. There was take six. There was all for one. There was shy. Boys to men. Boys yeah. to men. Yeah, there were all these, you know, black doo-wop groups from that period sort of bringing it back that were so talented. And take six was one of them. But uh, 
I think this is a really beautiful song. It's got George Benson on it as well. George Duke is on there. Herbie Hancock's on there. Sarah Vaughn apparently is on there somewhere. Do you remember any stories about this one? Yeah, this one, like you say, I didn't know Take Six from a Hole in the Wall. Right. And sweet, sweet guys. Oh. Yeah, these guys came in. In fact, you know, pretty sure um, they, they certainly come out of gospel and I think as you know, straight ahead Christian I mm-hmm. think they might still be around I uh, could be wrong but okay. no they were uh, I, th- I think more from the gospel Christian side just nice guys so they, mm-hmm. in fact you know I'm just kind of contrasting it in my mind you know one day I've got you know Melly Mel and Ice T yeah. you know just, just dropping every uh-huh. uh, vernacular you can imagine uh-huh. and next day I've got take six you know and I'm making tea for these guys and, and they're just you know these, these sweet guys vocally they were unbelievable and if anybody can capture that type of vocal you know especially a bass vocal with Bruce Swedeen so the the sounds the vocals on this song are are amazing it is uh george george benson you know and just his you know soft guitar uh for the whole thing the vocal arrangement i mean especially when it gets to the the bridge is is yeah spectacular yeah um, what what take six is doing and you know it's kind of it's i don't know maybe it's a, a goofy memory i don't know when we were mixing this song we had all the lights off in the studio and it was me and Bruce and Quincy and I don't even know if Rod was there, but B was there. B is Bruce's wife. Okay. And just, you know, sweet woman, uh, beautiful woman. And they, they've been married for, you know, like Bruce would say a hundred years. And, you know, the mix is automated and the Bruce mixed it, you know, it's all automated. And then he, he wanted to hear it back, you know, just to make sure that you know, like, like he says that it, that it's stuck. Mm-hmm. And as, as it started playing, um, he got up and, and he and B danced. Mm. And it was just this sweet, beautiful moment of this master engineer who has recorded and mixed everything under the sun. Yeah. And uh, certainly not what you would call a great dancer, but the two of them just, just sharing that moment. And it was almost, yeah, I almost felt a teeny bit like an intruder, but it was just, yeah, when I hear that song, I I, I kind of I see the two of them dancing, and it's it's just kind of my own personal. I love it. Of it. I love it. Um, yeah, it's a really beautiful song, especially near the end. They kind of, the vocals, they go like full barbershop and just uh, kind of cut loose a little bit vocally near the end. It's gorgeous. I yeah. I gotta admit, they're they're about a year ago. Their publicist was pitching them to me to come on the show, and I. What they wanted, they were promoting like a Christmas song that they had, they were doing, and I oh. wouldn't have been able, and I was open to it, but I wouldn't have been able to get the episode out in time to help them promote the Christmas song, and so I didn't do it, and I maybe I should have, or maybe I should go back and see if they had talked to me anyway. And, no, uh, I'm, 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 I'm sincerely glad that they're still around and they're still. I, 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 I want to go back and hear some of their stuff. Yeah, their their harmonies are incredible. Okay, absolutely. All right, track 11. This is the other one that kind of came up earlier, One Man Woman. It's a, like I said earlier, it's a really good R&B song that in because of the diversity of this album sounds a little bit out of place, is all. Even though Sheila E. is on this song, I love mm-hmm. Sheila E.
By the way, how beautiful is Sheila E? Were you there when she came in the room? Yeah, she came in, um, did you know, did her little Tabali thing. Uh, no, she, she's beautiful. She's funny. I, I don't have any great little stories or anything. Okay. Total Pro came in. I, I, I seem to recall she might have had kind of a kind of a blue sense of humor, if that's mm. still a word. But that's you know when you're around Quincy, that's expected. Sure. So. And if you're going to be best buddies with Prince, I'm guessing yeah. uh, that's she's, probably she's, yeah, she's seen and heard it all. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, I, I, and I totally agree with you. I don't love the song One Man Woman. And after September, uh, where are you going to go? That's just such a work of art. But, you know, uh, September, again, you know, it's, it's pure Ian. It's got to be Ian Prince. Words, yeah, words of music by Ian Prince and Saida. Um, Harriet Roberts. I don't remember her. Yeah, I was going to ask you who uh, that was. I'm not sure. But this was another one I think Quincy and, you know, if... By some crazy reason, Saida ever hears this, um, I, I say it with pure love and respect. But, but I think Quincy was doing all he could to, you yeah. know, let's really give Saida, you know, a boost and a hit single here, and it, it just didn't didn't yeah. quite uh, didn't quite hit. Yeah, she is amazing on this record, and she fits right in with everyone else. All of her oh yeah, all of her singing I, is fantastic. Her writing is fantastic. We don't give her enough credit. She co-wrote "Man in the Man in the Mirror." I mean, she. Yeah. Uh, She's a super talented woman, and uh, it's unfortunate that this wasn't a bigger launching pad. This or the bad album, for that matter, for her. Yeah, she or her it. or her solo album. Yeah, true, or her solo album, right? Um, you should have. You should try never on sometime. You're she, right. She's a trip. I I should. I'm always trying to get more women on here, and for whatever reason, <laughs> maybe it's because I'm a, you and I are white guys. Getting R and B <laughs> artists on here are really difficult. <laughs> And I don't want it to be because I love R and B, but I I don't know if it's because they're not as savvy with their social media. I'm not sure what it is, but it's really been difficult to nail down R and B artists. And I wish it okay. wasn't. So anyway, yeah, I'll well, see I'm, if I can track I'm, her down. I'm, I'm, I'd love to talk to her. Yeah, I'm 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 pretty good friends with her and her husband. And uh, okay, I'll I'll put a good word in for Ooh, you. Please, I would love that. Yeah, I'd love it. Okay. Um. Okay. Track twelve. We're coming up. This is the second Brothers Johnson song. Tomorrow. Originally, this was an instrumental. Quincy produced the original.
now it's got lyrics. I don't know who wrote them, but they're sung by Tevin, and it is one of the most beautiful things. I mean, my goodness, I'm just I'm listening to it again today to get ready to talk, and I'm just thinking, I can't believe this kid is like 12, and he is hitting yeah. every note. And this, the poor, I don't. You'll have to tell me because his, I think his career kind of got si- got derailed. I think he, I think he got caught doing some. I don't know, some inappropriate gay sexual stuff that he wasn't supposed to, and it kind of hurt his career, and I'm not exactly sure what all happened with him, but he had that voice as a kid. He should have, it should have worked out for him too, you know? I, I agree. Um, yeah, and, and truthfully, I, I don't, I, I just haven't followed him that much, yeah. um, you know, in, in subsequent years. I mean, same thing, you know, he, he comes in, you know, in his little, uh, his little sweater and, I, and I'm not making fun of him at all no. I mean, it was just it was refreshing I mean he's yeah. there with his with his I think his whole family was there I mean I know his mom was there but it, I seem to think even his his brothers were there I think he might have come out twice they were from Texas mm-hmm. and because uh, he, he came out and did uh, Back on the Block and and Tomorrow and it's just it just couldn't be a sweeter song I mean, he sings it with emotion, but not over the top. No. You know, I always, whenever I hear a young singer that, you know, is just, you know, put in the vibrato on 90%, yes. it's like, no, stop, just just sing the song. And yeah, like you say, he just, he sings the melody, but he does, you know, just the right amount of ad-libs. And it's like, he's just a stone cold pro yes. <laughs> at the age of 12. Yeah. So it's like, he's got Quincy there guiding him. True, um, but I mean... He can sing. I mean, no matter yeah, who's going to guide him, he's going to still be able to sing. That's yeah, it's amazing. And we should say back to Saida. She wrote the lyrics to this yeah. song. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. And, yeah, and, and well, and you've got Randy Kerber on here. Uh, Randy is probably one of my favorite pianists. Oh, uh, I didn't know I, who I, that I'm, was. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm old school. I still, but I mean, as far as guys that can actually play, you know, a, a Yamaha Grand Piano, Greg Gaines and Randy Kerber are among my my favorites. And Randy, um, I mean, all these guys play keyboards, but to me, there's something when somebody sits at a piano and really plays. Yeah. Um, that's that that's kind of extra, as my daughters say. And, and Randy's one of those guys that's just a, a phenomenal player. And okay. just a studio guy that he's played with everybody, you know, in L.A. and probably around the world. But, uh, yeah, just kind of a unique name that jumps out at me. I, I'll have to pay more attention to that name. I didn't know. I didn't recognize it. Phil and Gaines, obviously, I know that name. Again, Lukather's on here. John J.R. Robinson is on here again. I don't know Gerald who's... Albright. Right, Gerald. That's right. Yes. <laughs> That's... Like, yeah, yeah we like, let's have a sax on here. Let's go ahead and get Gerald Albright. No kidding. Like, and it's gorgeous. Well, why not? Yes. Yeah. Now, there's a name that I saw on Wikipedia tied to the song, Ollie E. Brown. Do you know mm-hmm. who that is? Uh, well, he's, he's credited with playing bass. I, it looks like, no, wait, 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 wait. Well, John Rock, no, I take it back. The liner notes are written kind of strange. No, he's percussion. I, I remember him, but I, I okay. don't. I, I got nothing. Okay, he's another one I've been trying to find for since starting this thing because he has a song. He and a song uh, they they were a duo called Ollie and Jerry, and uh, I can't remember who the Jerry is. I should know, but they had a song on the Breaking soundtrack um, called "There's No <laughs> Stopping Us," and it's one of my favorite songs ever. 
And, okay. I, and apparently, Ollie, I believe, played drums with Stevie Wonder. There's that famous clip of Stevie Wonder singing Satisfaction live on like a German TV show, Music Laden or something like that. And the, okay. if I, it, I believe the guy playing drums in like overalls is Ollie E. Brown. So anyway, I've always wanted to get that, find out where that guy is, and I can't track him down anywhere. Just wondered if you knew. Okay. No. Right. Okay. Well, and and the funny thing with working on this album, I mean, it's like going back to Joe Zawinul, um, and it, when they walked in, it's a name, and I'm plugging in, you know, either a mic or a direct box or something, sure. and I'm shaking hands and seeing if I can get him a cup of coffee or anything. And then a month, a year, five years later, you know, I'll find out, holy crap, this guy worked on this and on this and on this. And yeah, uh, I mean, even engineers that I've worked with, I, you know, come to find out that, you know, they, uh, you know, Oh, I didn't know they did four you know, albums for the Eagles. You know, when I worked with them, he was, you know, we were doing a, a jingle for Taco Bell, right. but oh, man, you know, it's yeah. just it's just such a strange industry where you meet people, have a quick session, and then uh, do a little homework, and it's like, man, this guy's got pretty amazing track record. Yeah. Okay. Last two things: Prelude to the Garden. Uh, it's another. It is what it is. A prelude song goes on for about a minute. There's not much to say about it other than unless there's a story here. The guy playing keyboards, I believe, is Jorge Calendre, Calendrelli, something like that. And I didn't know who that was. And I didn't know if um, I should know actually who that was. Actually, on the liner notes, um, it's it's Larry Williams. Oh. Um, so. Uh, synth I, yeah, strings. Well, I'm sorry. It says synth yeah, yeah, strings. Yeah, synthesizer strings arranged and composed by by uh, by Jorge. Yeah, I, I don't know who that is. Okay. Now Larry was a regular with him. He's an amazing talent. Um, he and I were, were, were still Facebook friends. Uh, tons of respect for him. Larry comes from the the Jerry Hayes Wind Horns. Hmm. So you know, number one, he's you know just an incredible. Uh, I, believe, I mean, he plays anything, but I mm-hmm. think he was playing uh, mainly saxophone uh, with Jerry, I think. Please don't throw a sock <laughs> at me, Larry. But then he's also an incredible keyboard player. Mm-hmm. So we used Larry all the time mm-hmm. uh, playing keyboards on Michael's records and with Quincy. So on this one, um, he's credited with uh, keyboards and, and synth programming. So he's one of those guys that uh, wears several hats and, you know, and again, it goes back to, you know, he's just fun to be around. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just got good a great personality, good jokes, great yeah. hanging tops. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to put on my teacher hat, but, you know, that's what I try and teach these guys is you can be the most talented guy, you know, on, on in the city. Mm-hmm. But if you're a, a prick, yeah. nobody wants to work with you. 
And Larry's the kind of guy who he's got the chops, but you just you just enjoy being in the room with him because yeah. it's just fun. So a great guy. Makes sense. Okay. And, you know, again, going back, having read Lukather's book recently, you realize how important that is. These guys were yeah. successful, not just because they were good, but because they were a good hang. They were, exactly. you know, they didn't throw off the chemistry. They didn't cause problems. You know, they didn't make your job harder. They made it easier. And that's all anyone yeah. wants, you know? You, you you loved when they were on the calendar and you hated to see them leave. Yep, that's it. No, um, dead, dead serious. Yeah, I believe it. Okay, last track, Secret Garden. Tell me a secret. I don't just want to know about any secret of yours. I want to know about one special secret. Because tonight I want to learn all about the secrets in your garden. this one it, what a way to go out uh, the song begins and right out of the gate Barry White shows up you can't mistake <laughs> Barry White and then we go to James Ingram the late great James Ingram I love that guy I tried to get him tried to find him for years to come on the show mm. never could now he's not with us anymore right. and then there's El DeBarge and then there's I'll be sure back to back to back to back to back and yeah. uh, tell me the story of create of creating the secret garden Right. Um, well, and it's actually, uh, yeah, the, they actually sing, it's Barry White that's last, if I'm not mistaken. I, I think I Barry think. White comes on first, and then I think he comes back again at the end. Okay, okay. I think I'm right about that. It, yep, no, yeah, that, that's, I, I, yeah, I listened to it a little bit yesterday, uh, but anyway, it's, it's a beautiful piece of music. 
and and this is this is a live band. So you've got Lukather, you've got Stubenhouse, you've got Jr. Um, Bruce Swedeen is credited with the snare. See that? I mean, that's funny because that's Bruce hitting the snare. Uh, he and I and the drum doctor, and then he he takes credit for hitting the snare. So I'm I'm pretty sure this was you know an actual live band, which it sounds kind of funny to you know say that. But most of this album, just like the Bad album, is uh, is a little program. And uh, on the Bad album, the song "I Just Can't Stop Loving You" is a live band. And on this album, Secret Garden is a live band. So that's just kind of a cool place to start. It's actual musicians that are, you know, looking at each other, throwing right. sticks at each other, and, and and playing the song. I don't, man. I should remember if all the vocals. I don't think all the vocals happened on the same day. But they must have for the, for the background vocals. So yeah, we, we must have had all four of those guys together. Uh, El DeBarge, I'd worked with him just a little bit at Westlake, so we, we certainly weren't friends. But I was, you know, I I, I knew who he was and uh, okay. a you know nice guy. It was really it was it was Barry White that once again, how do you you know a Martian is going to know who Barry White is and. <laughs> You know, he's just this big, beautiful guy that, uh, you know, uh, opens his mouth and starts to sing, and and it's, you know, it's a funny song because it's, you know, there, there's more of a little innuendo in it, but they didn't really, you know, cross the line too much. No. Um, you know, I, I think there was there was kind of a big a big laugh. You know, Barry kind of has you know in the out for us. You know, it's something about you know, in his deep, beautiful voice. You know, it's like you know, let me slip these down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's it's a little cringeworthy. At the but that's same just time. what it's you like, want Barry White to say. It's not my favorite song on the record. Um, it kind of it kind of you know toes the line of uh, uh, you know, is it a love song or is it kind of a skanky song? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, you know, it's Quincy, yeah. and, and that's you know, and Quincy, yeah. Quincy loves him some girls, and uh, this is, you know, I think a nice nod to that. Okay. Um, does when Barry White shows up, is he like, is he wearing a cape and ho- and holding like a <laughs> cane with a gold handle? That's kind of what I imagine. Oh man, I I, I, I wish I could remember. Okay. Um, I mean, I. I I mean, and, and I'm, not, I'm not making fun of it at all. No, I, I remember guys kind of, I, I think most of the guys did kind of buff up a little bit. Did they? And, um, and, you know, now, if anybody wants to prove me right or wrong, no, do watch the movie. Okay. Um, this is it. Because the movie is about Quincy's life, but it's also, it happens to be, it happens to take place while he's making this record. Okay. So it keeps cutting in and out. Um, I, I think I've got like, you know, four little, uh, you know, second and a half scenes, you know, where it's me sitting by the patch bay or something. It's not, you know, don't, don't rent the movie just to, to find uh, me because it'll okay. take you hours. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure there's a scene in there of these four guys singing and, uh, and yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to buff up cause they're going to be on camera. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you have any James Ingram stories for me? Was he a nice guy? Was he? Uh... Yes. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm 
I'm doing the, uh, you know, closed eyes trying to dig deep into my memory. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, you know, Quincy is so much better at this. Quincy can just rattle off seven stories in a row. Uh-huh. And it's like, how do you do that? Right. Um, it, it sounds so corny, but no, he was just a sweet, kind okay. man. Okay. Uh, you know, there, there were some guys who would come into the studio and it's like, you know, you're kind of ready for them to leave as soon as yeah. they get there. Um, James and Quincy and Bruce and Rod, I mean, they, they had just done so much together. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's a pleasure to watch, um, you know, creative guys that are friends and comfortable with each other and, uh, you know, start telling stories and laughing. And, uh, and that's, you know, when, when you work on a project like this, there, there's so much laughter and yeah. so much love and, uh, and it's real. I mean, Quincy jumps out of his chair and gives every single person a hug when they walk in the door, and and everyone's got a nickname, and mm. you don't you don't know all the nicknames. I mean, he's you know, I mean, Picaro, you know, um, uh, man, I'm I'm totally spacing right now. Yada, uh, Yada, Steve Picaro, Yada, yeah, okay. uh, yeah. Michael will call him Yada also, and you know, everybody's got a nickname. Um, and so if you're going to hang around Quincy a little bit, you kind of have to know, you know, who, when he says a nickname, you know, Hey, let's get Yada on the phone. Um, he may or may not help you. You know, you just have to know who Yada is. And, uh, and you know, Yada just happens to be Steve Carl. So, uh-huh. but yeah, I mean, Miles, these guys, I mean, I don't, I'm not even going to pretend to know what Miles nickname was, right. but <laughs> Quincy has a nickname for everybody. That's, That's kind of his, his way of saying you're, you're part of the club. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Well, that's, uh, yeah, you know, the other, the, the other thing about Quincy, I was thinking about this today is, um, I wish I had his memory. Yeah. I, I mean this, for example, my, my, my wife, Deb, Deb's been, been with me, you know, for 30, 34 years uh-huh. and Deb would come into the studio and without, Without even a prompt, you know, Quincy Jones would jump out of his chair, give my wife a big hug, and say, you know, and, and call her Debbie. That's nice. And I'm like, how in the world do you remember everyone's name? Yeah. Not that my wife doesn't matter. Right. Just the, but everybody. I mean, yeah. it's like, do you have like some secret prompt in your ear that is telling you who the, you know, Anybody that walked through the door, he seemed to know their name. Yeah. And immediately would remember a story. Oh, remember we were in New York and at this restaurant and blah, 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 blah. And that's, that's just, you know, that to me is, is, it's part of a, that's part of a genius um, to have that type of a memory. I believe it. So when he, a couple of years ago, tells stories about Marlon Brando and Richard Pryor having gay sex together, that he's probably <laughs> telling the truth. He probably, that's not an old man going senile. Uh, I mean, you know, and I, I haven't seen Quincy now in about uh, probably eight years, something like that. But uh, no, he, he has and had a, a remarkable memory. Do you know and, what story uh, I'm talking about? He made a lot of headlines. I do. Okay. Well, okay. And, well, about two years, a year ago, something like that, he also, you know, said a couple dumb things about Michael. Yeah. And it was something about, uh, you know, Michael's stealing songs or it was, it was a stupid thing to say. And, you know, so sometimes I'll do seminars and I'll mention Quincy and the MJ fans, you know, they kind of, 
you yeah. know, get all snarky and recoil. And I'm like, you know what? Mm-hmm. Don't, you, you can't, you can't just discount somebody's entire career sure. over, you know, one or two stupid sayings or a tweet or something. Yeah. It's like, yeah. get, get over it. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I had a feeling this would take a while because like we've established every song on here deserves its own thing. But when you, uh, I don't know, do you have any lasting, is there a story that we didn't get to? Did I not, was there a prompt that I missed somewhere where you're, anything that you can think of relating back to the creation of this album that stands out that we haven't covered? Uh, I know there's no specific story. Um, it's an album that I'm incredibly proud of as, as, you know, uh, narcissistic as this may sound, um, you know, Quincy, he, he put pictures of almost all of us in, in the, in the, the booklet mm-hmm. and that's stuff like that is just cool. Yeah. It's not that, uh, in fact, yeah, true story. Uh, yesterday, um, I was like, Oh crud, you know, I can't do this thing with John. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I, I didn't, I didn't bring back the block with me. I've been listening to it on Spotify, uh-huh. but I've got a few copies of it tucked away in a box, but I wasn't going to dig them out. So I went to a, I called a, a record store here in Orlando, um, old school record place. It's called uh-huh. reruns. Uh, and I said, Hey, do you have back on the block? And the guy said, yeah. So I drove over, I, I picked it up. And I said, um, I said, you want to see something kind of funny? Big, big black. <laughs> big black guy by the name of Ed. Uh-huh. Um, and this is an old school. This is not a hipster record store. Uh-huh. This is a real funk and soul record store. And I opened up the booklet and I, I showed Ed my picture. And he's like, you know, that was a long time ago. And I'm like, well, yeah, thanks. Rub it in. Uh-huh. Uh, and, um, but he's like, you really worked at Quincy. And I said, yeah, I really did. And he just, he just lit up and he said, that really? that's unbelievable. Yeah. He said, that's a true genius. And, and it was, you know, and then he, he wouldn't let me pay. I'm like, Ed, come on, really? man, this is your livelihood. He said, No, 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 this is my gift. If you've uh, if you've worked with Mr. Quincy Jones, um, this is the least I could do. And and it meant something to me. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was sweet. And yeah. and I think you know that's you know Quincy. Enough stuff has been ri- written and said about Quincy, and he's got more awards and plaques than than you know any house could hold. Yeah. But he's he's a remarkable man, and um, and this album in particular, I just have so much pride, and yeah. uh, uh, it, it reaches back you know to to the roots of uh, you know where Quincy came from. And pushes ahead, you know. I mean, he really did believe rap, you know, rap, rap yeah. is here to stay. And uh, yeah, it, it's a record that I'm very, very proud to have been a part of. Good, you should be. It's kind of a benchmark. Um, well, look, Brad, I, I, uh, thank you. I mean, I, I just, I don't know what else to say other than thank you for bringing to life this album and for talking with me. And like I said, I knew it would take a while, but I'm glad that it did. I just think there's so much gold to be had in this conversation. And I'm, we are so blessed to have people like you who share these stories with us. Thank you for doing yeah, it. No, and you're, you're very kind. You're, you're becoming a good friend and I appreciate it. And uh, sometimes we should actually meet that like a cup I know. of coffee or something. But... I know. I'd love that. I'd love that. <laughs> I'll be a... I'm in LA next June. Let's make it happen. Oh, let's. I'll try and find a reason to be in LA in June. We'll we'll figure something out. So. All right. Okay. Thank you so much, man. This is going to come out in a few weeks, and uh, I'll let you know. And 
your your army of people they're so loyal to you they'll probably listen because you just say hey guys i'm number two on the most downloaded episodes this year can you help me out and like another few hundred people jump all over it you know uh there we, we we have we have good people um we've got our our last seminar of the year is next weekend in berlin oh wow and uh and we, we've got a good group coming there and then we uh launch again into uh, 2020 that's wild well good congratulations so. thanks again brad all right john take care have a good you night too. thank you, you. all right there you go brad sunberg amazing conversation Anyone who loves music has to have appreciated that. Now, we wanted to put in a plug. Brad, as you may or may not remember, goes all over the world doing seminars about his time working in the studio with Michael Jackson and other luminaries. Go to www.inthestudiowithmj.com if you want to learn more about what he's doing, sign up for one of his, uh, his seminars, whatever it might be. He's done over 200 of these, goes all over the world. It's pretty fantastic. We're really lucky to have a source like Brad appreciate what we're doing so much that he gives us his time to talk about stuff like Back on the Block. We are so lucky to have people like that who appreciate us that way. Thank you, Brad, for everything. Hope you guys enjoyed this. Happy New Year.